Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. Hump Day Wednesday, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. Thanks for making us part of your day. we got a great show lined up. Every Wednesday we hear from Ben Wagner, who is the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. He comes on exclusively here on the Sports Cage and does it once a week. And we're going to talk baseball playoffs. The World Series is set. The Arizona Diamondbacks, the AZ Diamondbacks, for the first time since 2001 and just the second time in their team's history going to the World Series. 4-2 victory over the Phillies in Philadelphia. The Fall Classic gets going Friday, Globe Life Field in Texas. They are definitely the story and the uh, and the talk of uh, baseball, for sure. Uh, speaking of baseball, you know, teams that continue to repeat the same mistakes, that's why they're losers. The Padres, signed a, uh, their owner, Peter Seidler, did what he had to do. He spent a lot of money, brought in a lot of guys. But uh, A.J. Preller, their director or president of baseball operations, I have no idea how he keeps his job, but uh, he's going to be now hiring his fifth manager in nine years. Fifth in nine years. The three-time manager of the year, Bob Melvin, didn't like the guy because he's a control freak, a stats nerd, and doesn't just like to be the president of baseball operations. He likes to uh, have control of the on-field play, too. And Bob Melvin's like, I'm a 62-year-old dude, and I have three managers. Managers of the Year awards, and I I managed a crappy AAA team, the Oakland Athletics, and made them a legitimate team. So don't tell me you sports nerd. So he quit, and he went to uh, the San Francisco Giants, where he's going to rub it in my team's face. The Padres, losers are losers, and they keep doing the same things. Kind of like when you're the Chargers coach and you run zone against Kansas City for the first half, and you wonder why Patrick Mahomes puts up 333 yards passing. I am Michael Ball, along with uh, uh, Blaine Wallen, Sean Kleisinger, still uh, looking after his sick son Casper, hoping to be back in the chair tomorrow because Blaine is hoping to use up some days off in Lou. But he came, he was going to work from home today, weren't you? But then you got sucked in through the snow to, to help out Zinger. So thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. The snow, the ice. Yeah. Slip once already. Did yeah. you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Not, not a big deal. Yeah, it is a little slippery. Hey, uh, your guy Brock Purdy is on the shelf right oh, now I in know. concussion protocol. So, oh, it's Sam Darnold. Is that the quarterback there? Mm, indeed it is. And they've got the uh, the Joe Burrow, rested Joe Burrow-led Cincinnati Bengals in San Fran, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, they got that matchup, and then they got the bye. So, okay, get to the bye. You don't want to push Purdy. I mean, you're still in good shape in that division, no doubt about it. NHL tonight, just one game, Washington at New Jersey. Um Last night, both of our teams were losers. The Calgary Flames fell uh, third third game in a row they lost. They lost 3-1, I think, to the Rangers in Calgary. And the Edmonton Oilers are an absolute tire fire. It wasn't even their goaltending. Jack Campbell actually was good. But the Oilers' defense, like um, Evan Bouchard, I think, had a, I think he had a goal and a helper, and he was still minus three. 
for the Oilers. They lost 7-4 in Minnesota. They'll be home to take on the Rangers, who just played the Flames. And then the Flames and Oilers meet in the Heritage Classic. Unfortunately for the fans who spent all the money, they won't see Connor McDavid in that game. I doubt he will play on the weekend at Commonwealth Stadium. I wouldn't play him, that's for sure. Did you watch any of that Frozen Frenzy, or whatever the hell they called it, with all the... Like checking in. I just watched the Flames game last night. That's all you did, eh? Yeah. That's all I do too. I can't do that red zone stuff. I try to do that in the NFL. I gotta I'm a I'm a purist that way. I gotta watch my team or just watch one game. I can't go from here to here to here to here. I can flip I, I do it once in a while in terms of red zone, but I like watching a game, maybe two or three I might flip in between, but not like yeah. four or five and I mean yeah. sometimes it is nice to watch like the end zone plays, but some of those games, meh. I like I like to focus. Three I'm games. endeavoring, and I've I, I've been we've been kind of touching base, but the guys at Scott Hansen that runs the Red Zone Channel, he's the guy. He's going to come on the show. We're going to ask him. I'm going to ask him when do you pee, when do you eat, like when do you do all that stuff. I'm sure it's not the first time he's been asked. In fact, I know it's not the first time he's been asked. Uh, but yeah, interesting, interesting times there in a, in. I've never seen their actual set, but can you imagine sitting in this room for like seven hours and you couldn't leave? That'd be crazy. Uh, be kind of like Zinger operating the games here when the riders are on. He's got to do his thing in a in a pop bottle, he said. Um, what else can we tell you in the world of sports uh, today? Well, the NBA tipped off yesterday. The Nuggets got their rings, they got their jerseys, and then they went out and beat the Lakers. And it was um, Phoenix getting by uh, Golden State 108-104. Did the Raptors play tonight? I didn't check. Yeah, they, they play. Next? They uh, host Minnesota. Okay, they're hosting the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, T Wolves supposed to be good this year. I'm not a huge. Listen, I am actually not a real huge NBA fan. I'm a Lakers dude, but I can't stand LeBron James, so I've kind of checked out. And then it just turned into a three point fest. It's not the '90s. Like I'm, I'm turned off by the NBA. Yeah, I'm kind of in the. I mean. I'm in somewhat in the same boat, but I did go to a Golden State game last year against the Bulls, and I, it was pretty entertaining. I, I would like to watch an NBA game live. I'm bored watching it on TV. It's boring. You know, it's like curling. Curling, you need to watch the first two ends just to see what the what the tempo and what the pace going to be like. <laughs> yeah. Not maybe not. Those aren't the right words. Just to know what the flavor is going to be, and then you can have a sleep for like four or five ends and wake up in the seventh, and then you're into it. Right now, game on. Same with the NBA. You watch it for a bit. Okay, I can go turn it to golf. I can walk away. Come back in the last three minutes. There's 18 million timeouts, and that's where the game's decided. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's pretty much the. It pretty much is. You just tune in for the final two minutes. Really, it's kind of like the CFL. That's what makes the CFL great, right? 57 minutes and three minutes are two totally different games. Except they don't have timeouts. That's true. The, the good flow. Well, the, yeah, not the CFL. That's the good flow of it too. No. Actually, I was wondering that should the should the NFL should the NFL go to one less timeout? Because it's a slower game, and the CFL get one more timeout because it's a faster game. I've always wondered that. That's interesting because also too the ty- the dynamics of the NFL being two minutes, and that's mm-hmm. when the clock kind of runs out in the mm-hmm. CFL. It's a three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you want rider news? You don't go anywhere else. Now it was falsely reported that Henry Burris is a leading candidate for the Riders' head coaching job. At this point, he's not even a candidate. I don't think he is. He is on the road to wanting to become the head coach and we're going to hear from him about 335 so he he's very much got interest in coaching he wants to he'd love to come back to Saskatchewan he thinks he's the guy uh to lead them 
to sustain success. And he said, you don't need, he believes it's about culture. So we'll get to him. He, he will talk to him. I talked to him before the interview here today. Also, and he does have a couple of other irons in the fire in terms of coaching. So it's not like he's begging for the job, but I've called him and asked him. And I said, will you come on? So we're going to ask him those questions. Also, George Cortez is going to join us, who coached Henry Burris in our Where Are They Now segment on a Wednesday. And uh, Kerry Joseph. Kerry Joseph of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I have heard from very reliable sources, those closest to Kerry, that he is interested. He would listen to the riders if they approached him about their head coaching job. Because we had a Rash Madani on yesterday. He said, he's not going to leave the NFL. Kerry Joseph apparently would listen to the riders if they were interested. That's an interesting one. If Kerry Joseph is interested and seriously interested, and they can come to some sort of like get into some serious talks, and it's not like I'm dismissing Henry. I want to hear what Henry has to say, and then I'll form my opinion. Right now, I'm really on the fence about Henry Burst being a serious contender because he has no head coaching experience. Kerry Joseph has won a great cup here as a quarterback. He's been an MOP here, same year he won the the Grey Cup. He has coached at lower-level football. He has coached university football at McNeese State, I believe as it's called. And he has been with the Seattle Seahawks as an assistant head co- uh, assistant a quarterback's coach, pardon me, for the last few years. And as I said yesterday, Geno Smith was a walking forest fire, and he is obviously had something to do with the Geno Smith turnaround. He was on the scrap heap after the Jets and the Chargers, and now he goes here and he's the comeback player of the year. And would I call him elite? No, but he gives him a chip, a chair, and a chance. I think if he's interested, he would jump to the top of the list, in my opinion. Right near the top of the list. Yeah, definitely with uh, Joseph's experience, especially with the positional experience. I think that's what separates him from, say, like a guy Burris, is his positional experience coaching. You Coaching, know, yeah. Yeah, like Burris said, well, I'm sure he's going to you know, rely on the fact that you know he hasn't had much um, experience as a positional coach and doesn't need that as much, but I think you need a little bit of experience, at least as a positional coach. The key is, though, for both of them, is can they who can they bring with them to be the coaching staff around them? You need a good, solid coaching staff. Does Henry have the contacts? Does Kerry Joseph have the contacts. I I would think without knowing. I know they're friends too. They're both really tight. Those guys. Who knows? Maybe they'd be on the same staff. But Kerry Joseph is a guy that uh, he's tapped into the NFL. He's been there for a bit now, right? He's been through the college ranks coaching, so he has a bit of that. Henry Burris. Both of those guys would be key for this too. Think about this in a coaching cap world where you got the coaching cap, right? What's the one position that really suffers? The quarterback position, because you can't have that quarterback coach. Look what happened in 2013 when Darian Durant went on his greatest, the greatest run a CFL quarterback has ever had in the playoffs. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions. You were you remembered fondly, Blaine, that that 91 yards in in the 97 yard rushing game that he had against the BC Lions in the West semifinal, 91 in the fourth quarter. Um, George Cortez was the offensive coordinator, but the quarterbacks coach was Kahari Jones. If you get a guy like Milanovic, who I, by the way, think is still a very long shot to come here, um, you got you got a guy like him or a guy like Buck Pierce, who people have talked about, which wouldn't be a bad option. Will he leave Winnipeg? I don't know. If you get a Buck Pierce, you've not only got a guy that's proven he's a good coach, but you've also wounded your opponents, right? The four-time West champs, because let's face it, they're going to win the West. So that would be a good candidate. But 
To have a head coach that has an offensive mind that can work in conjunction with the quarterback and kind of be that pseudo quarterbacks coach while he's overseeing the team and and if you surround yourself with good coaches, then you could take more time to deal with the quarterback on a hands-on basis. That's why I think it should be an offensive-minded coach, and preferably, if you can, a guy that played the position. Which Burris, which Joseph, which um, uh, Milanovic, and which Buck Pierce have done all at the pro level. Mark Mueller, who I've also touted, has coached quarterbacks, and he's done it at the university level and had a cup of coffee with the Edmonton then Eskimos. That's how I feel. Yeah, just basically this cap world, you're trying to get a guy to do two jobs and important jobs at that with a quarterback and offensive coordinator or like a coach and a quarterback coach kind of yeah. role. So, yeah. yeah, that's pretty important. Yeah, so uh, we're going to talk to uh, Henry Burris, but I am told, I, people are like, oh, Kerry, jo-. no, Kerry Joseph is open. He's open. Apparently, in this profession, he says he's got to keep his mind open, sources are telling me, and he would entertain some sort of discussion about becoming the Riders head coach. And Henry Burris is definitely interested. We're going to talk about that. Um, I do I do think I do think that um, Buck Pierce would be a good call. I do. Jordan Maximic has shown he can move an offense. Now, Actually, no, he has because he's taken Vernon Adams to the next level. So he definitely has, too. He's never been a head coach, so there's that, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, but it is that dynamic of does a good coordinator make a good head coach? You don't want to hire the you know the North Turner of the CFL. <laughs> and that's sometimes that's what I wonder with these candidates: Are we hiring North Turner? Well, yeah. here's the thing about Henry Burris, and I want to I want to hear what he has to say. Here's the thing about Burris: When I think about Henry Burris, I think. There's a smidgen of me that thinks, will he be Matt Dunnigan 2.0? And some fans, when I put it on Twitter, like, he's going to be Matt Dunnigan 2.0, who, who is a legendary quarterback like Henry Burris, who came into a situation in Calgary after Wally left. It, it, it was a no-win whoever replaced Wally Buono. But he came in, they had Federick as their owner, and here's the caveat, Federick made Matt Dunnigan play his son at quarterback. And his son at quarterback had a less accurate arm and less arm strength than Blaine Wyland. Like, that Federer couldn't break a pane of glass with a pass. And and, and so Dunnigan was kind of hamstrung. And let's be honest, Ryan Dinwiddie didn't have any coaching success. Like, he, he had, what did he have for coaching success? He was an assistant. He wasn't a head coach. It's worked out pretty well in Toronto. But... But you're only as good as the players that you can coach. So that's where everybody blaming Coach Dickinson. Do we really think the Riders have a championship team, talent-wise? Do we really think that it was a championship team and it was just the coach that let us down? I say no. So here's my question to you. 936-6262. Does it matter to you that our next... like? Put it to you this way. Would you rather, and we're just speculating here. This is a fun thing. These guys might not even be in the running. Would you rather have a guy like Buck Pierce? Or would you rather have a guy like Kerry Joseph or Henry Burris? Somebody that knows what it means to be a rider. Somebody with rider royalty. Because there's another thing. you got to put butts in the seats. And those two guys would put some butts in the seats. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. 
Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. We're just having a little issue with our phones. We'll get to you in a minute. You want to keep calling, we'll try to get to you here. Um, actually, call back uh, during the 3.30 news, and we'll try to get a hold of you. You're calling in right now. We're just uh, figuring things out on our end. 936 is the number to text powered by the Capital Auto Group. So the Riders announced their player uh, nominees today for the league awards, as each team did that, actually. And it went pretty well what I filled out. Not saying that I was the reason, but it, I mean, think of pretty well was anonymous. There was no surprises. Larry Dean's the most outstanding player and the most outstanding defensive player. I think that's fair to say. You could have made a case for Sam Emelis, and Sean Bain Jr. was good at times. He had dipped a little bit in the season. But in fairness to those two receivers, Blaine, they you know, we weren't playing with the QB1, it was QB2, QB3, and, and so I thought they had a great year despite that. Yeah, I definitely put those two in the running as well, and it's just, yeah, it's it's tough, eh? Catching passes from three different quarterbacks this season and still to get over 1,000 yards, mm. multiple of them. Yeah. Is good. So. Sam Emelis, outstanding Canadian, so he gets something out of the deal. We'll hear from him in a second. Adam Korzak, most outstanding special teams player and most outstanding rookie. I agree with both of those. And Logan Furlan once again. I think he was last year, too. He's the most outstanding lineman for your Saskatchewan Rough Riders. That's real good, and he holds up the uh, tradition or the pride of the Regina Thunder Junior football program. Let's hear from Sam Emelis, who joined us after the game last week. Is uh, I guess we could say this is his parting interview for the year. Sam Emelis had a great game, man. Over 100 yards receiving. Touchdown is six of the year. And I said this, Luke, on the broadcast. Nick Dembski can do so much for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But if I was starting a team today, and with all due respect to Kean Schaefer-Baker, Braden Lenius, who I love, Sam Emelis is the best Canadian receiver in the CFL right now. Yeah, you know what? I think that he's definitely up there for sure. And, you know, you, you don't need... To they do a good job with Nick Dembski, but to be fair, they really scheme the ball to Nick Dembski. Yeah. I think that Sam Emelis is a guy that you can just put in any spot and just be like, hey, look, go make a play over here. Yeah. He's going to do it. I think that he had a great year. Yeah. Um, definitely one of the bright spots of the season and, and probably a guy that you'd want to build around. Yeah, he's a foundational guy. He's downstairs over 1,000 yards receiving. Um, just uh, first off, your thoughts, Sam, on another tough loss. Um, you know, it, it, it sucks right now. Um, Knowing that you can't, you out of the playoff, um, just, it just sucks that it had to happen this way. You know, Sam, it's got to, like for me as a guy that calls the games with you on the road trips and everything, I'm bewildered. How about you? Like, I can't believe I'm sitting here saying this is it for the season when like six weeks ago, you guys, seven weeks ago, you guys just finished back-to-back wins over BC and Winnipeg. How about you? I mean, you know, we were in the driver's seat and we just let the stuff fall down and we didn't, we didn't really accomplish what we wanted to do. But um, like I said earlier, uh, this week also um, individually, I'm proud of what, what I did, you know, but uh, I'm, over, I'm really about team accomplishment first. Yeah, but you need to uh, make plays to have the team be successful, and you were a playmaker. Last year, I was like, okay, they took Sam seventh overall, but I'm like, okay, but then you got to understand the offense was kind of out of sorts. This year, you took it to the next level, but ironically, you did it with the offense even more out of sorts with injuries on the O-line, receiving core, quarterbacks. Why were you able to be so successful this year? Um, You know, this year... I mean, this year I had the opportunity to be a starter and, you know, 
make plays. Um, last year I was more learning about the offense and getting back to the CFL game. But this year I got a chance to be, be on the field. So I would say opportunity was the biggest thing for me and, and, and learning the game from last year. So when I came up this year, it was just the game was, 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 was more slow. You know, it's, it's nice that you mentioned that the game slowed down for you a little bit. And I'll ask you the same question that I asked Deontay Williams, Sam, is, is what is the focus of the offseason? Like, where do you see opportunities to make your game better? I mean, you know, um, I'm, always, I'm always trying to improve, obviously. There's, there's some faces I got to improve also, I feel like. And um, I'm going to definitely work on it next year so, so we can bring, bring the riders back to the top where they're supposed to be at. Give me, give us one. What's one area you do want to work on? I feel like I could make more um, contested catch or improve my blocking a little bit or, um, you know, stuff, stuff of that nature. I'm going to have to look at the film. But obviously, like, I'm trying, trying not to think too much negative right now. But yeah. there's definitely something I want to improve or keep, keep doing well, so I'm going to have to work on it. I realize it's still fresh. Now, you're going to be going into your third season, okay? And you're definitely now getting more street cred in the locker room because of being a playmaker. And Luke just mentioned a foundational guy. Is that a chance for you next season to maybe be more of a vocal leader and take some ownership or leadership in the locker room? Or are you not that kind of guy? You just lead by yeah, example. I mean, I, um, most definitely, you know. Um, even in college, I was more the guy to lead by example. Uh, not really a vocal guy, but I guess I'm going to have to take a little bit more of um, that leadership a little bit more. But um, that's something I'm trying to trying to learn from, from you know, guys from like Larry Dean, and uh, and uh, even Jake Dollar, uh, Jake Dollar Gala and, and and guys like that, you know, guys that be vocal like Pete. So I'm a, I'm gonna learn from it and and I'll, uh, um, hopefully be more vocal next year. We don't like to make excuses, but Luke made a good point. Let's be on. He said it when it happened. When Trevor Harris got hurt, he goes, there goes the Riders' season being carted off the field. Now, I know you guys fought. You fought hard. You got the 6-5, and five, and then the wheels fell off the wagon. But let's be honest. When you lose QB1, it is an uphill battle all the way. I mean, yes, de definitely, you know. Um, when, when any team I lose their quarterback one, gonna have going to have some, some adjustment to make. And I feel like we, we did it, but we just couldn't finish the job, and, and that's what really happened. All right, well, thanks for your time, man. Uh, great season. Uh, I know it comes in a loss, and you're a team guy, like you said, but it's a great accomplishment in your second year to be a 1,000-yard receiver and six touchdowns, leading the receivers in that category. Have yourself a, uh, the best offseason you can, okay? All right, thank you. Appreciate y'all. Time now for your sports ticker, and we've got um, some news, too, with regards. We mentioned the Riders nominees. There will be a new MOP in the league because Zach Kalaros is not the most outstanding player nominee from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It is Brady Oliveira. He double dips. He's the outstanding Canadian and outstanding player on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I actually don't mind that. He's he's really the anchor of that offense this year. That I think that kind of opens the door to Chad Kelly being the most outstanding player in the Canadian Football League this year. And congratulations to Ryder Varga, the former Ram, LaBolas Golden Sun, first year with the BC Lions. Of course, he got drafted a couple of years ago, but came back to play with the Rams so he could finish his engineering degree. Smart guy. And he played smartly on the field this year as he was near the top of their special teams tackle lead uh, leaders. And he's been named the outstanding uh, rookie, most outstanding rookie for the British Columbia Lions. In the NHL tonight, just one game, Washington at New Jersey to take on the Devils. The Toronto Raptors open their season, taking on the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. So you can catch that uh, 
on TV. Dusty Baker is out as manager of the Houston Astros. He won a championship, got his team to the verge of another World Series, and he's like, I'm done. I've, I've had enough. Uh, Blaine Wyland, who's operating for me today, he has San Francisco 49ers have put... Uh, Brock Purdy in concussion protocol. Deshaun Watson will not play this week for the Cleveland Browns when they take on the Seattle Seahawks. He had a concussion. He got his melon banged around. Didn't play the rest of that game when they won and beat Indianapolis. But P.J. Walker, former XFL quarterback, will start there. And it's an interesting day, too. It's Wendell Clark's birthday. Happy birthday to Wendell Clark. Happy birthday to Kelly Chase. Two good Sasky boys. Uh, it's also the Kirk Cousins Day, right? What was that one? You like that? Yeah, you when like he was that? a Washington quarterback yep. after the comeback, ran through the media room uncharacteristically and was shouting, you like that? And then uh, also it's a big day in baseball history, right? Well, if you're a Boston Red Sox fan, you like to forget a Bill Buckner through the legs, Mookie Wilson, back in 1986. That's right, and they've got that 30 for 30, uh, the Queens, uh, uh, is it King of Queens or something? It's something like that. Yeah. There's a four-part series I watched, and it was great, 30 for 30. Um, what's interesting is is Bill Buckner was one of the best fielding first basemen in major li- in the majors. And that went a slow roller, as Vin Scully called it, up the line. That wasn't even game seven. That was game six. And then the Mets just, they, they lost, or, or pardon me, the Red Sox just lost and it was gone. Uh, the kid, Gary Carter and the gang, they were snorting coke, having a good time there with, uh, what was his name? Uh, Lenny Dykstra. Uh, yeah, Lenny Dykstra, who turned into an absolute grease fire. And then there was Howard, jo- was it Howard Hojo? Jo- Howard, Howard, Howard Johnson Jr.? Howard Johnson. I'm yeah. thinking of the hotel. Howard well, Johnson. Hojo. <laughs> Hojo, yeah. Dwight Gooden. Daryl Strawberry. Uh, what a team. <laughs> Man, dude, dude, that was before social media. Can you imagine if there was social media? Blake, can you imagine covering that team? Uh, Dwight, God, Dwight Gooden was so good back then. He Wasn't was, what, he? 19? Yeah, he was, un- I don't know his age. 20, but he, but he yeah, was. Yeah, there was Gary Carter catching for him. Daryl Strawberry, man. This was, besides Go Mets Go, this was the other sound you heard at Chase Stadium. <laughs> Snorting everywhere. Those guys were just party animals. Lenny man. Dykstra's books, one of the best books I've ever read. He would he if you see interviews with him now, he's an absolute grease fire. Like his brain oh, yeah. is scrambled. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we uh that's it for our sports ticker. Hey, let's get to Henry Burris. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. All right, we've had this guy on recently. We always love talking football with one of the greats ever to play in the CFL. It's our friend, Smiling Hank, Henry Burris. You were public enemy here. You were also a fan favorite here. Public enemy, I think, just in a fun way. People didn't, they just love the chant, Henry. Uh, you obviously have fond memories of Saskatchewan, right? Oh, you know it always. I mean, Saskatchewan's always been a second home to us, and it's been a place where, you know, we always love to come back there, my family and I. 
and just enjoy seeing people that we still consider family. And again, if it wasn't for Saskatchewan, we wouldn't be where we are currently. So we're truly thankful and we'll never forget that. So Henry, I just, uh, you know, I've talked to George Cortez in this show in our Where Are They Now segment. I, I just talked about George Cortez. He was in for the 2013 championship celebration here last time the Riders uh, were in a Grey Cup, let alone win, uh, winning one. And, uh, the guys talked about how on the offensive side, how he was instrumental in helping Darian go to probably an unprecedented run in the playoffs for a quarterback in the CFL, with all due respect to yourself. But he had like eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Your thoughts on George Cortez, because I know you know him real well. Well, if it wasn't for George, I wouldn't have experienced what I, I did in my career. I mean, he was, when I talk about the one coach who actually set me down, he taught me the game, made sure I understood how to operate the game, but also manage the lifestyle both off the field and also how to manage the system on the field. And, you know, when George joined the Riders in 13, I knew, you know, there was going to be a team that was definitely going to peak and do the right things. It was definitely that team with, with the secret ingredient, George Cortez on the sideline. And you could definitely see the, impar- the, 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 the I guess, just the, the, the change in Derry Durant's game just from the, the presence of George Cortez. And that, that to me, that speaks so much about who he was. He didn't say a lot. Probably wasn't the most personable guy, but when it came to football and just the salt of the earth type people, George Cortez is the guy you could definitely put put as a picture as far as under that uh, description. So let's get down to it, bro. Do you want to be a CFL head coach? People are talking about you. Hey, this guy could be a great head coach. Do you want to be a CFL head coach? Because I know of a team looking for one. <laughs> well, you know, it's always been something I've talked about I would love to do. And, uh, of course, following my career, it was all about spending time with family. And that's why I've even been down here down south, uh, being able to spend more time with family because we knew we wanted high school-wise for our kids to go to high school down here so they could have an opportunity to attend some of the colleges and have the same experience from a sports and academic standpoint that we did, plus be close to the family so people could experience what they're doing as far as in their it was all about family, but I've always had my ears up north. And while down here, I made sure I, I've gotten the necessary experience. But I've been working hand-in-hand both with Matt Nagy, helping him out as far as the game planning and helping put the game plan together as far as what's, what's the coaches and the offensive coordinator's duties. And also did the same thing hand-in-hand with both Doug, Doug Peterson and Press Taylor in Jacksonville, making sure that their responsibilities were all ready to go, whether it was presentations and team meetings to setting up the game plan and how the plays are going to be called on a game day. And I worked directly with Trevor Lawrence, working with his fundamentals and throwing technique. So for me, I, I've, I've been in the rooms and, and I've, I've, I've helped learn. I've been able to learn and be put in a position to learn just the duties of both offensive coordinator and the head coach. And I'm thankful for that. And, uh, but, you know, again, with my playing experience, you know, I know that game up there oh so well when it comes to offenses, when it comes to defenses, the personnel that are calling it, what changes are happening, the rules, the special situations that are taking place. But more importantly, I just love football, and I love helping young men reach their dreams. I've had men who sacrificed time away from their families to make sure that I could have the career I did in Canada. Well, now I'm looking forward to that opportunity of having that baton handed to me so I can help impact young men both off the field and on the field and also our given community and market as well. So I'm just a... Uh... I'm a radio announcer of the football team. Okay, I've never been in a prof- I've never been in a professional huddle, and I've never, let alone, ran a professional huddle like yourself at a high level, one of the all-time greats. But you've never been a head coach. Do you think that aspect is overrated when you're looking for a coach? Well, it's definitely not overrated. But uh, I know people talk about, oh, well, X's and O's. You know, can you put a game put together? Can can you call plays? I was like, well, guys, that's it actually what I did during my career. Mm-hmm. You know, I was involved 
as in the game planning, the, the 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 film study to put together the game plans, understanding analytics and all the different things, the nuances that are a part of the game today, and also understanding how to you know create culture as far as in the locker room. And to me, that's the most underrated aspect of what coaching is all about. Because when it comes to coaching, X the nose is the last thing you want to worry about because everybody has their system, everybody has the plays that they love, and everybody's trying to find the players to be able to execute that game plan. But being able to establish the right mindset for your players, empower your players, but also create the proper culture so each and every one of those players can succeed is how teams thrive. And, and right now, you know, when I look at Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan should be the cornerstone of the CFL. I mean, it's been that way since I've been in the CFL for a long time, and we were able to experience some of the greatest times of the CFL as far as playing against the Riders and being a part of the resurgence of the Riders in the early 2000s. Well, it's time for that team to get back there, and it's all about setting the culture first and putting the proper people in place to help make that happen, and, that, and that's more importantly, the guys in the locker room and and I'm definitely more than comfortable as far as the process of what it takes, but I'm only one part of that process mm-hmm. of how we make it uh, turn around. So you're a young guy. You fit that aspect of it, I think. Uh, you're you're not that far removed for, from the game, so I'd, I think it gives a guy street cred like yourself, absolutely, and I think that's important to today's athlete. But as you know, Henry, we just talked about George Cortez, and you said you're only one part of it. Uh Great coaches surround themselves with better coaches. So that would be something I'd ask as a GM. Henry, who would you bring in with yourself to surround yourself? So my question, I guess, Henry, is do, do you have contacts that you could, if you had to put a coaching staff together, do so? Well, the thing is, I'm not going to name any names. No. You know, a lot, a lot of guys that are great friends of mine are, are still you know, battling in playoff spots. They're on some of the best teams up there right now, not to give away any people's names. But, yeah. but uh, the thing you know, as far as you know, maintaining those contacts. Uh, you know, those, some of those guys up there are my best friends, and and we've all talked about one time when one of them or myself was to become a head coach. Don't forget about each other, and the and that same system still applies at this moment. You know, I've already talked to guys, and I've, you know, I'm definitely going to talk to guys as things move forward. But this 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 is how the fraternity works. You know, and I definitely have a lineup of a number of guys that that you know definitely work their butts off that are currently coaching in this DFL guys that definitely need an opportunity to be coaching in the CFL because they were not only great people but also great minds that are still coaching in Canada, whether it's in a CIS level or even on a high school level. But the thing is, these are guys that had prior CFL experience as far as playing and also in some aspects coaching. So definitely the Rolodex is thick. I definitely have a lineup of names if need be, if that opportunity is given. And, uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be a great time, you know, putting great people in great places to help these young men become the best that they can be. So tell me what you can tell me. Don't tell me what you can tell me. Have you reached out? How does this work? Like, do you reach out to the riders through your agent? Do they contact you? Do you feel like you're in the running? Do you want to be in the running? I guess that's a bunch of questions, but answer which ones you want. Oh, 100%. I'm definitely interested. I mean, I, I've always talked about Saskatchewan and just their impact as far as my family and I. My wife and I, we've talked about it ever since, you know, the things that have happened, the moves that have happened here recently. And it's the unfortunate part of the game with a great guy like Craig Dickinson being not retained. But, you know, we've talked about it. If the opportunity is there, sure, 100% we'd be interested in. And I know people get it twisted about the situation in BC, but, you know, Rick Campbell and I talked about my situation because before I even agreed to do anything with BC as a consultant, I was already in talks with both Jacksonville and Dallas. So the thing is, it wasn't a situation where I signed and I'm ready to get back down. No, no, not the case because people, it's well documented how much I love the CFL game. If the right opportunity came about, you, just like it is now, 
I would definitely be all ears and be at full attention, and, and that's where I currently am at this point. You know, uh, you know this. I said this on the air the other day, Henry, and I, I believe this. I think when you're looking for a head coach in today's day, the way the game is going, I think you need to look for an offensive-minded coach. I know you'd be biased because that's who you are, but you love the game in general. And there's a lot of great uh, defensive names thrown out there, and I'm not devaluing them. But like with a... With a coaching cap that we have in the CFL, too, I think one of the things that's missed for quarterbacks in this league is a quarterback's coach, like a a George Cortez or even here, Kahari Jones, in that year, 2013, was somebody that Darian could lean on. I really believe you could bring that to the table in a coaching kind of cap crunch where you could be kind of head coach, but also be that guy where the quarterback could turn to and say, hey, Henry, hey, coach, what do you think of this? Well, that's similar to what both Bo George and Ken Austin did with myself, Jeremiah Masoli, Dan Lefevre, uh, and I can continue on with the names of the quarterbacks that were in Hamilton during that time. But, but most of the head coaches that have professed themselves, as far as former quarterback coaches being Jason Moss and, and Ottawa, you know, they had that split duty where they were either the offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach, or even with Kent and, and George Cortez head coach slash quarterback coach. And just with that opportunity there, it allows you not only to to be able to, you know, help lead the team and help put the guys in places to help both run the offense and the defense, but it gives you an opportunity to talk to the leader of the locker room and to spend time and time and over and over again. It helps you both get on the same page, not only from a leadership standpoint, but also from an offensive standpoint. Because again, it's all about the head coach empowering the quarterback and the more time that you can spend with each other when come game day and you have to hear that guy speaking to you in the ear as far as in that headset, you're on the same page and pretty much know what he's going to say before he even says it. So the more time that you can spend volume creates perfection and and that's what having that head coach uh, slash quarterback coach uh, aspect can bring to the table for you and lastly henry how much do you think as as maybe you go down this process and and you're talking to the team if that does materialize and how things go the fact that you were here and you know what saskatchewan means to the people here the football team i mean to the province and how much they just want a winner here, a regular winner, like four championships in over a hundred years. I think only three first place finishes since 1971. And these fans spend their hard earned money and drive a long hours to get here to watch the games. You know what that means. 100% because it's funny. My wife and I talked about this last night and we said, you know what? In many ways, we still have a lot of unfinished business there because unfortunately we weren't able to come back following that 2004 West final and just finish off things. And, and trust me, I, it hurt when, you know, Saskatchewan won the two great cups in 13, beating our butts when I was with <laughs> Hamilton. And also when Kerry Joseph was there, was there, but two great friends were leaders of that team as quarterbacks and also as head coaches, you know, both Kent and, and, and Corey Chamberlain. Uh, but, but to see Saskatchewan get excited inside, my heart was smiling. Because if there's one fan base that truly deserves it, you know, it's definitely the Ryder faithful. Because like I mentioned, they are the benchmark of the CFL. And when the Riders are great, the CFL is great. And, and that's where the team needs to be. And, and honestly, any opportunity to be able to come back there and be a part of helping build that back up is, is definitely, uh, you know, what my wife and I, we've talked about. So, you know, that, 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 that's true. That's what we believe. Because uh, honestly, at the end of the day, I was a quarterback there. You could pretty much say I was the premier there if you're the quarterback, mm-hmm. but also you feel the temperature and heat as the head coach. And definitely, I understand the people there. But like I mentioned, there's a lot of unfinished business as far as within our hearts of, of you know us not being able to complete 
what we set out to in Regina. Well, you've definitely stated a very appealing case. I'm not going to lie to you, man. We're friends, and I'm on the air, so you can always go back and check it out. That's kind of dismissive. Not that you don't know football or anything like that. It's like, he's never had head coaching experience. But you know what? You've... uh You've, you've presented a very appealing case to me, my friend. Best of luck wherever it goes, eh? Maybe we'll be working very closely together. Who knows? <laughs> well, Bobby, as you know, being a head coach is all about treating people the right way. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that I look forward to. It's definitely a part of the fabric of who Henry Burris is. And, you know, you never know. We'll see as time continues on, brother. But thanks for having me on. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. So far on my uh, Twitter Twitter X feed at The Real Ballsy, people are kind of split. They want Burris. be intriguing. Some say good guy, but we just had a good guy. We don't need a good guy. We need a guy with coaching experience, real coaching experience. I also said, I listen. I reach out to people. I don't make things up. Henry Burris is not a leading candidate where it was stated he was. He is interested, as you heard, but they're nowhere even close to that, okay? But I did uh, do some digging because I'm friends with Kerry Joseph, too. And uh, let's just say this. Kerry Joseph is interested if, uh, if he was considered to coming back to be the head coach of the Rough Riders. He's open to it. Uh, this from Thomas. Thomas, who follows me, but is obviously, um, well, here's what he says. His wife has a great job in Seattle. Why on earth would he give up his NFL gig to come to the CFL for the crappy weather, poor flight connections, and crappy dollar? Come on, Ballsy, the riders aren't the Dallas Cowboys. This is fake news. Be better. Well, it's not fake news, Thomas. We don't do fake news here on the sports cage. We give it to you straight. We don't. We don't try to be first. We try to be right. So Henry Burst is not a leading candidate, but he isn't. In, he's just a can. He's not even a candidate yet because they don't have candidates. They're not close. And Kerry Joseph is indeed open if he would have an opportunity to be in the mix for the head coaching job of the Rough Riders. Those two things I can tell you definitively. What do you got on the text line at 936-6262? Plenty of activity this afternoon. I'll start off with Kelly in Calgary and says, Guys, you need someone who understands Saskatchewan. That's a huge part of this whole thing. Both Burris and Joseph understand what it's like to be successful in Saskatchewan. Okay. What else you got? Because I had said Buck Pierce or somebody like that as opposed to Henry or Joseph. I uh, don't have a name. Hey, Ballsy, yeah. what happened to your other co-host? Uh, that's, of course, Zinger. Yeah. Uh, and also thoughts on Milt's comments on O'Day. I believe that's about Milt Steagles. I would yeah, saying, I guess. Saying yeah. somebody we'll that get had a poor back-to-back stretch, would he get a three-year yeah. extension? Uh, it's Milt's comments. That's all I could say. I, I didn't make him. He did. Uh, coming from Kristen and Weyburn just says, loves listening to the sports cage when she picks up the kids from school. Nice. Who are your kids, Kristen? Uh, we didn't. It's funny when I used to do the wolf. I used to worry about some of the things we talked about. Now I can get a, like I don't feel so bad because we're not so kind of on the edge. Uh, Rod and Regina, hey Ballsy, I would lean more to carry Joseph as the next head coach. I believe one or two players and injuries aren't as bad, and we would be we would be close. Okay, that's the key because Ryan Dinwiddie's in Toronto, right? And he's doing a bang up job. Ryan Dinwiddie's doing a bang up job, but he also has John Murphy bringing in the players. You got to bring in the players. Now I'm not saying O'Day didn't bring in players. He did, but. If you think that this was a championship roster, you're you're so you're solely mistaken. You're sorely mistaken. It was not a championship roster. Now I will say this though, 
Every roster is flawed. There is no team that... Even Toronto's got some flaws. The Cincinnati Bengals got to the Super Bowl two years ago with a a paper mache as an offensive line. Okay? They had a great quarterback. I think Trevor Harris is the quarterback of this team. We're still talking about the Riders' playoffs, and they're probably hosting a playoff game. So you don't have to have a perfect roster, but the Riders didn't have a championship roster last year. Let's be honest. You're kidding yourself if you think it was just the coaching. That's my opinion. Uh, we'll go to it's Glenn from Regina, and he said, just based on the overall team performance during the past ten years, I think we need a head coach with CFL experience. Examples: Buck Pierce or Scott Milanovic. Scott Milanovic is going to be a long shot coming here. I thought for sure. I, I tweeted earlier. I think it's. Uh, I'd be surprised if he wasn't here because he's really tight with Trevor Harris. I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I think it's a very long shot that Scott Milanovic comes here. He, from everything I've been told, doing some sniffing around, he is a great coach, but he's also a big-time alpha dog, and he likes to have a lot of control. I could be wrong. People could be leading me the wrong way, but yeah. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Taking your calls and texts. Bob Stoffer from the Edmonton Oilers Radio Network coming up next. And we'll hear from Benny Walchuk, too. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. 620 CKRM is proud to be the official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And your home for the hottest sports talk anywhere. This is the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. I'll tell you what, man. I am joined by the great color commentator on the Edmonton Oilers radio network. I, uh, Bob, I give up on sports, man. My riders are, I don't even know where my riders are right now. They're in limbo and it's fans aren't happy and I'm stuck in the middle of it. And I'm, I'm happy to be because I'm the voice of the team. No place I'd rather be actually, but. They're not doing well. The Chargers can't get out of their own way. They gave up 333 yards passing in the first half with their defensive guru head coach who decides to go zone against Travis Kelsey. Great move. The San Diego Padres have the third highest payroll, and now they're going to give up on the three-time manager of the year, Bob Melvin, for a stats nerd in the head office because they don't get along, and he's going to go to their rival, the Giants. And my Edmonton Oilers look like they just stumbled out of Willie Nelson's tour bus, and Connor McDavid is hurt. So tell me where the hope is. Well, first of all, you can always pick another NFL team other than the San Diego Chargers, so let's establish that. What you would are you like a Chargers fan from the days of Eric Coriel? Yeah, eighty one. Yeah, eighty one. There's the first game I ever watched. It was that Miami San Diego overtime game. I'm like, these guys throw it around like Warren Moon in the CFL. I'm going with these guys, and I I'm stuck how, ever since. How good, how good was uh, Kellen Winslow in that game? And you know what else? How's this for an Edmonton connection? Uh, a guy named Rick Alderman was a professor at the University of Alberta. He was the uh, white coach for the San Diego Chargers at that time with Don Coriel. They had connected uh, through Coriel's uh, NCAA days, and uh, I went to school with uh, Alderman's daughter and son. And so he was—he was a sports psychologist, and I mean, that was cutting edge in the early 1980s. Let me tell you. Well, and and Coriel was the head coach of the UBC Thunderbirds back in the day. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, and anyway, go ahead. Oilers stuff. Help me out, bro. Well, look, it's a 1-3-1 and one start. There's no way to sugarcoat what's happened here. There were great expectations, and, and the teams had two poor performances, and that's one too many. You can maybe have one. You can't have two. They've had two the opening night against Vancouver and then the game in Philadelphia. So, And then to further compound matters, 
Connor gets hurt against uh, the Winnipeg Jets the other night. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. Hopefully it's just a week. Uh, what I would say to you is sometimes, uh, you know, character gets revealed during challenging times. And the Oilers are now in a challenging time. They never play well in Minnesota. They're going to have to play differently tonight against the Wild. Now, the Wild don't have both Spurgeon and Brodeen. And that's part of the, the that you know, that defense that's given the Oilers some problems. They've been a real good counter-strike team against Edmonton. Edmonton's going to have to play differently. I, but again, I won't sugarcoat it. It's been a, it's been a relatively poor start. They should have gotten better results in their two home games where they dramatically outshot Vancouver and Winnipeg. They didn't. The only good news is it's the start of the year, and it doesn't look like it's long-term for Connor. Okay, so uh, I'm going to tell you this right now from the outside. We talked about who leads this team. The captain of this hockey team is Zach Hyman. He comes to work every day. The captain of the Oilers is Connor McDavid, and he doesn't get credit for being as good a team player as he is. But Zach Hyman... You know, Mike Babcock's got very high standards, and I know a lot of people hate Mike Babcock these days, but no player benefited more from Mike's coaching in Toronto than Zach Hyman because Zach was prepared to put up put the work in. This was a fifth-round draft pick of the Florida Panthers. Uh, you know, the Oilers step up and sign him. He took less. He took a million less from Edmonton a year than he was offered by a couple Eastern Conference teams, and he scored 27 and 36 goals the last two years. Became an 80-point guy last year. He's a hard-working, grinding player. Uh, I interviewed him for tonight's game for our show, and you know, it's it, the Oilers need to simplify without Connor in the lineup and a guy that helps send that message through his tenacity and net drive uh, and his ability to retrieve pucks in the forecheck. He's the best forechecking forward in the NHL. Is that kind? He's a great ad. But Connor McDavid and Leon Drysdale and Darnell Nurse are the leaders on the team. So I want you to answer this. I know you will because you don't mince words. That's why I have you on a regular basis, and I think why we get along. I want you to assess two guys that are overcoming injury. One is uh, injuries pretty recent. One, it was a long-term injury. First, Connor Brown. How do you think he's played in the first uh, five games? I think his uh, like his touch is a little off right now, right? It makes sense. He only played four games last year after tearing his ACL. To be frank with you, uh, Michael, I think he's skating better than I thought he was gonna. Uh, I think I, I think he'd be hoping for a little bit more success around the net. He's just his timing's a little off. Mm-hmm. And how about Matthias Ekholm? Uh, he looks a little off to me. He's coming off what I don't know a tweak in training camp. He doesn't seem to be all there yet. Yeah, I think that that's a fair assessment. I'd also note Ryan McLeod. Like Ryan McLeod, got you know got a two year in theory a bridge extension, but he's got to get in the guts of the game. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny because he's been really good in the playoffs, but in the playoffs, there's no fighting. And I think he plays without the playoffs and it's a different game in the regular season. I'm not saying he's timid. I'm saying he's got to get in the guts of the game for McLeod. They need more out of him up front right now. As for at home, you, you know, yeah, he's 33. I don't think he's all the way up and running. And I think it showed at times. I've always liked Ryan Nugent Hopkins. At times, I've been disappointed with his game. I'm a fan, short for fanatical. But uh, that, a chance for him to step to the forefront, too, here. Yeah, he's going to be with Fogel and Hyman tonight. I mean, Ryan, we are having a. I was uh, with the. You had an extended con. Brian Lott who lives here in Minnesota. He's on our show on a regular basis. And myself and Brian and uh, Ken Holland, we were having a conversation just about Nugent. It's amazing that the guy, you know, 12th season in the NHL. Is a hundred point season after never breaking the seventy point plateau. Now he's been injured a couple of times when he's been in right. the ice. He's played a lot in the left wing the last year and a half, but with Connor out, 
and the Oilers went 3-2-1 and with Connor out back in 1920. And in that year, Nugent Hopkins played left wing with Settle and Yamamoto. They kept that line together. Um, Edmonton's got greater depth at this time, but they had a hot goaltending in a six-game stretch, 930 save percentage. Glad you brought up goaltending. I don't think the goaltending's been horrible. Like, I don't think, and I know that you can't win with, oh, I don't think it's been horrible, but I don't think it's been the, the main issue. I think it's maybe been defense that's been the issue. Yeah, well, there's it, there's a couple things. Uh, I mean, the team's got an 868 save percentage. That's 30th in the league. The Oilers, 5-on-5, five five, Justin Corsi is third in the NHL behind Carolina and Colorado. That's score, Justin. So that's not sitting there when score effects take place and then the Oilers are down four goals and they get 15 and 17 shots. That's actually factoring in the games being even. Edmonton's eighth in expected goals. Uh, they're actually 23rd in goals for their PDO, which is a combination of uh, 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 save percentage and shot percentage right now, is 29th in the league. And their actual shot percentage is 25th. Like, they're 23rd in goals for. They led the NHL in goals for last year. Uh, but they do still need to do a better job and get some more saves. 30th in the league in save percentage. You are Edmonton Sports, okay? So, um I want to get this last CFL comment in from you. What am I hearing? Like, I'm hearing rumors more and more, more and more people talking that the uh, Edmonton football team might be sold, like, privately, like a private team, a private ownership group take it over. What are you hearing on that front? Well, um, it's, it's it's definitely a possibility. My understanding is they've got a little bit of money left in the kitty for the next maybe year and a half, uh, you know, the way it's sort of operated before. But they don't, they're nowhere near as, as anywhere near as much of money as they, they used to have. I mean, uh, you know, Michael, I, I grew up in a time, like when I was, and I'm a little bit older than you, but when I was in high school in uh, 1982 and 83 and 84, season tickets, there were 52,000 fans a game, okay? Uh, even as late as the Labor Day Classic return game, I'm thinking it was in 02 or 03, there was 60,000 fans for Edmonton and Calgary. Now they're going to close the upper bowl. Uh, you know, the Oilers dominate the market and, uh, and the Elks have gone through some tough times. A lot of the alumni players don't like the name change and they've gone four and 14 and four and 14 the last two years. Could it be for sale? Yeah, it could be for sale. I do think Rick Wallace sure might stay aboard as a president beyond the, the season. And I wonder whether or not Chris Jones might just be the head coach next year, but the Elks are going to have to get either a amnesty or a scenario where they can get a bit of a bit of relief on their management and coaching cap to make that happen. So stay tuned on that front. Bob, thanks for your time. Call anytime, Michael. Hang in there, man. Time now for the Cage Clutch Performer on 620 CKRM. And Bryce Harper leads off first ball swinging, and that is going to be caught by Tommy Pham. Got a bit of a late break, but hustles in. Carroll up the middle and a base hit. Rivera round third. He will score the tying run. And Corbin Carroll, his third hit of the game. Hey, here he comes. Cave, a fly ball to right field over his Carroll. He's got it. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are headed to the World Series. 
Corbin Carroll went three for four with two ribbies and two runs scored, and the D-backs advanced to the World Series for the first time in 22 years, stunning the Phillies in Philadelphia, as you heard there, 4-2 in Game 7 of the National League Championship Series. Arizona plays the Texas Rangers in the World Series, beginning with Game 1 Friday night at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. In their only other trip to the Fall Classic, the Diamondbacks won a seven-game thriller against Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, and the New York Yankees way back in 2001. Your clutch performers, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Nobody thought they'd be in the World Series, but they are now. It's for Nick Service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent Dealer. Give them a call, 781-1077. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage. 936-6262, the number to text. You can call that number locally or 1-866-767-0620. Blaine, you surprised the Diamondbacks? I said the Diamondbacks. I said the Phillies all along, but then I just turned turned on a dime and said the Arizona in Game 7. That's a remarkable story, what they've done. Yeah, it is. I'm surprised. I thought Philly was going to somehow take it. Or I shouldn't say somehow, but because they were the favorite. But I really thought Philly was going to win it, but... uh, So who do you got now in the world? You think Texas? I think Bochy's going to win it. I think Texas. I like the Rangers. It might be pretty fast, too. Like I say, five games. They're 2-3-2 two, two again. 2-5-6. Two, I mean, yeah. travel's not going to be an issue. Weather won't be an issue. Yeah. So no Yeah, cold. it's it's indoors. That's right. That's the last outdoor stadium that was in the playoffs. So the old no, tradition. We won't have to worry about snow for this World yeah, Series. Yeah, you got that right. Okay, let's say head out on the Western Pizza Hotline. Take a slice out of your fall cooking schedule and go check out the gang at Western Pizza. Great place. All right, let's uh, go to the uh, phones and say hi to our friend uh, Benny Walchuk. He is the... Um, Sports director at GX94, our sister station. I always wondered why we said sister. Why couldn't we say brother station, Benny, or partner station? I, I, did you ever wonder that, or am I just overthinking this thing? Yeah, I've never thought about that before, but uh, yeah, it's always been sisters, just sister station before, so, but I guess we'll go with that. Yeah, okay. So, are you surprised by the World Series that is the Arizona and Texas? A little bit, yeah. I thought uh, talking with just hearing Blaine there. I thought uh, the Philadelphia Phillies had enough. I know the payroll spent a lot of money. That like Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, so on and so forth. I thought they'd be able to pull it out, but uh, those pesky Arizona Diamondbacks with that young team, uh, Corbin Carroll, they have a good pitching, and they finally pulled it out. But I'm with you guys. I think Texas is just too deep. They can hit too too well. I think their offense will be just too much for Arizona coming down in the World Series. Uh, Benny, uh, let's talk SJHL hockey. Uh, I think we have one uh, game on tap tonight, if I'm not mistaken. It's Estevan and Humboldt. What can you tell us about these two clubs? Yeah, Estevan is a team that's uh, coming off the last couple of years. Pretty good seasons for them uh, in the in southeastern Saskatchewan. Jason Tartanic has uh, brought in some great offense, so they had a good good run last year. Um, maybe a little off to a slower start here this year with with their record right now in last place in the Vitaire division. But uh, then the Humble Broncos, of course, they've only uh, one loss in overtime so far this season. Oh, wow. They've been very, very good. And uh, this is a team that's always recruiting well. They have a great young talent, Matthew Blaricom, who's uh, just rated with the NHL Central Scouting this uh, past uh, week or so. Uh, they have a lot of Cage Newins, or captains, very, very good, good goaltending, and just the all-around great offensive team. And then Scott Barney, who's their head coach, and then coach uh, Canada West at the upcoming World Junior A Challenge. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair here tonight uh, in Humboldt, but uh, 
two teams that are very, very well known in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League should be a good matchup. Tonight. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any SJHL calls uh, coming up here this weekend? I know Melville's in uh, in Flin Flon. Are you going up there? Or do you have any calls? No, not this weekend. Actually, the weekend off here for the end off October. The next action is next weekend when I head up to Battleford, Battleford Kindersley with the with the Orkton Terriers. So it's a weekend off for me before I kind of get busy for me here next uh, month or so. What's um. Right now, early on, what's the better league, do you think? The SJHL or the MJHL? I say the SJHL right now. I think the parity in the SJHL is a little bit better than the MJ. I know some teams are struggling right now. Swan Valley Stampeders, one of my teams, is struggling. you got the Winnipeg Blues, Winnipeg Freeze, Selkirk, that's kind of struggling right now. And if you look at the records, if you compare the records, I think the SJHL is a little bit better. Uh, they have a, a few more NCAA commitments as well. Uh, in that league, in the SJHL, and I think the SJHL just uh, as a whole right now is much more competitive, a lot more closer games than we've seen here in the SJ than we've seen uh, across the border. So we far. talked about this last uh, last week. You call Fort Knox games too. Junior B action. Tell me about what's going on there. Yeah, the Fort Knox are uh, got off to a little bit of a slower start. Uh, three and six record for so far for them in the South Division. Uh, so uh, leading the way, of course, is the Regina Capitals. The the Pilot Butte Storm are always very good, and the Cinnaboy Southern Rebels, who have got that nice brand new rink there down in the Cinnaboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got off a decent start as well. Then you look up north, you got the Saskatoon Quakers, you got the Delisle Chiefs, who are always uh, very very good with their recruiting wise. They get a lot of guys that kind of attend university in Saskatoon and the U of S and have a chance to. Uh, uh, competes and not it's not a far drive from Saskatoon yeah. to Delisle, so it's a little bit of a slower, a slower start though for the Fort Knox. But uh, it's it's great hockey. I know junior B hockey people think it's kind of a rugged league and a chippy league, but there's some uh, decent players that just want to enjoy playing hockey. They want to work for a living during the day. They want to go to school. Uh, university and you just want to play hockey for fun. So definitely have a chance to go and check out some PGHL action. Awesome. Okay, so talk about some local football going on around there. You got your hands all over uh, the different uh, leagues too. I love football. You know that at all levels. So uh, fill me in, bro. Yeah, exactly. Of course, the provincial playoffs are kind of kicking off this weekend. They had their league playoffs in both six aside and nine aside, and then uh, they kick off a quarterfinal action coming up here this weekend. Of course, six aside, you got the teams like Clavette, who's in 2A, who's probably going to be the favorites in that division. You got Hafford, you got the, the Lemberg Eagles from uh, just uh, down the road uh, from you guys in Lemberg that are very, very good. And then you look at the nine aside game, and that's, uh, I know we had a tough defeat last week for our, for our Cobras against Estrade, but they'll head to Lumsden to take on probably one of the favorites. Uh, in the London Devils uh, this weekend, so it's great. It's it's the snow is on the ground. You know it's playoff football yeah. coming up here this weekend, so it's uh, it's a great, exciting time for a lot of those grade 11s, grade 12s. They'll be playing their final years of uh, high school football, and it's I know you played high school football as well. I played high school football. The goal for you is to win a provincial championship uh, in the snow. I wear that medal around your chest, and it, it's just a great honor when you look back at a uh, number of years back that you're provincial champion. So it's going to be an exciting weekend for those the local football players the next few weeks. And the older you get, the better the stories get, right? You can craft the narrative, right? Exactly. It's it's changed a little bit, i got to admit, with the, with the traditions here in high school football, but uh, it's still nothing better than uh, just hanging out with the guys on the bus, traveling to the, to the football games across the province, and uh, celebrating uh, on the bus on the way home after a big victory. So things you things you might not forget in high school, but you never forget uh, the, the traditions you had on the high school football tradition. So your uh, your team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, has six Super Bowl titles. How do you feel about your Steelers? I I'm I was a little skeptical after that first week. I know Bland's gonna be pretty smiling after that first week in San Francisco. Maybe not smiling after the last couple weeks for him, but. Uh, 
I think Pittsburgh's coming into their own. I think they're keeping things simple. They got Deontay Johnson back now, and their defense is is stepping up pretty good. So I'm feeling pretty decent. I know a big matchup here this weekend against Jacksonville has got off to a pretty good start here this season. So mm-hmm. I think if their defense can kind of take the reins, and if Kenny Pickett can uh, limit the mistakes offensively and just kind of get the ball where he needs to be and with his uh, offensive weapons like George Pickens, Deonta Johnson, Pat Fryermuth when he gets back in the lineup. So I'm, I'm pretty confident with my Steelers. I know they're still a young bunch, but uh, any any chance of getting in the playoffs is probably a big success for them here this season. Are the 49ers your most hated team? Uh, probably not. Probably Baltimore, maybe. Yeah. Baltimore, Cleveland, mm-hmm. division rivals a little bit. Uh, New England, I'm not a big fan of, as well as the New York Giants. A lot of friends that are New York Giants fans as well. So those Beauty, are always the hated teams for me. Beauty of being a Chargers fan is when they suck, nobody really bugs you because there's hardly any Chargers fans, so it's great. Do you know what I mean? Like It's not like yeah. one of those traditional teams. Blaine's just stewing over there. Looks like he drank a jug of sour milk. He's so mad over the last two weeks. I love it. He was <laughs> walking around here like they were poised for their sixth championship but he goes the worst part about it it's October it should be February guys are going to get hurt and now Brock Purdy's on the shelf so uh, Blaine's just stewing in his own juice over there I love poking him there I can't I can't bug either of you guys because I cheer for the Chargers I cheer for the Padres I cheer for the Oilers I cheer for the Riders tell me where the brightness is for me it's just all been bad it's all been bad yeah yeah, it's not good. I'm a big Justin Herbert fan, though, so I gotta yeah. give you that. I like Justin Herbert, but just uh, it hasn't worked out for him. Maybe maybe a change at the head coach position might be needed. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> My teams again. Managers changing. Riders getting a new coach. The Chargers need a new coach. And who knows the way the Oilers are playing. Did you know the Edmonton Oilers last night? Shut up, Blaine. They had three. Not one. Not two. But three. Too many men on the ice penalties in one game. In one game. That ties an NHL record. Last team to do it were the crappy Coyotes in 2012. Could you believe that? I can't believe that. So, yeah, that's definitely a stat that you don't want to have. And look what happens when one guy gets up the lineup and they, everything kind of hits the fan in the wrong way. But uh, I'm a Canucks fan, so I'm pretty happy with my start with the 4-2 record and a big win in Nashville. I hate both you guys because he likes the Flames too. Benny, I was going to look at you as a regular contributor. You cheer for a team that can't put two decals on their football helmet. They're too lazy. And you, you cheer for the Canucks who burn their city down when they get to the Stanley Cup final. Anyway, take care, bro. Take uh, It was great talking. Happy to be ballsy. Thanks a lot, Blaine. And uh, go Steelers, go Canucks, and uh, sorry about your 49ers player. Oh, that's uh, Benny Walchuk joining it. Blaine's going to get the last laugh. I could just feel it. You're going to get the last I laugh. can't wait till January and February. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Like I said, you know, before, it's a marathon, eh? Hmm. Like, it's. Yeah, you don't win it in October. Uh, yeah. They've done this before. So you're saying the Chargers have a chance? <laughs> Not with Brandon Staley. That's a good one. We'll take a break. Be back with more of the Sports Cage in a moment on 620 CKRM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Time now for your sports ticker, and it's brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating. 
where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you. Uh, they'll treat you right. Seven eight one twenty ninety. Just one NHL game. New Jersey is home to Washington. We've got. Uh, NBA action tonight. 26 Canadians, actually. It's a record. Tip uh, When the NBA tipped off yesterday, started on a roster in the NBA. That's the most ever to start a season. And the Canadian entry in the NBA, the Toronto Raptors, taking on the Milwaukee Bucks tonight. And that's your sports ticker. The Sports Cage is your voice for football. Not only in the province, but around Canada. This is the Sportsgate CFL Report. A look at what's happening in our three-down game. Let's go. Spread right, fake spear. Play pass, 16 counters, ZD bank. Full back west right, zoom. Full back left, pass half back at zero, Z quick swing left, on one. Well, all nine CFL teams unveiled their nominees for this year's year-end individual awards. The Blue Bombers running back, Brady Oliveira, double-dipping as the team's nominee for most outstanding player and most outstanding Canadian. So you can tell by that statement that Zach Kalaros will not be in the running for another MOP. Some people are shocked by that. I'm not. Brady Oliveira really is the rock of that Winnipeg Blue Bombers offense. Other double nominees include BC Lions defensive lineman Matthew Betts and Rough Riders linebacker Larry Dean and punter Adam Korzak. Larry Dean, the most outstanding defensive player and most outstanding player nominee. I picked him in both those categories. And Adam Korzak, the punter of the Riders, is the Rookie of the Year nominee and also gets the special teams player nomination. Once again, I voted there with the party line. Congratulations to Regina's Ryder Varga, the former Ram, named the BC Lions Outstanding Rookie of the Year. And that's your CFL report. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. All right, let's talk baseball now and head out on the Western Pizza Hotline take a slice out of your fall cooking schedule order yourself a western pizza today and i'll tell you what this guy uh, one of the great voices in baseball joins us on a, a weekly basis usually every wednesday and we lock him in on wednesdays when the jay season's done it's the radio voice of the blue jays ben wagner ben arizona diamondbacks like come on that is the story of the year man that and bochi coming out of retirement and the two will meet in the fall classic Really, the last few seasons, right, on how a franchise can stick with a guy, stick with a process, ownership, giving themselves to general managers in the Arizona sense, and that general manager leaning on a guy that he's known forever. I mean, Mike Hazen, Troy Lovello, they go back eons. And the, the emphasis of knowing a guy and knowing what really makes him tick and understanding that you both are on the same page leads to the Arizona Diamondbacks' success. And... Nobody. I mean, we, we talk baseball every week. We talk to people in the game when we're at the ballparks. We talk to people around the game, get all the forecasts. Very, very few people thought that the success for the Arizona Diamondbacks, one, would lead to this point and be sustainable for 162. There, you know, there were a couple of nice stories at the beginning of the year, Arizona being one of them, ah, but it's not going to last. The division is too tough. Too many Titans. Not enough payroll. Not enough superstars. Well, guess what? They they added a couple of key pieces, and I remember talking with you mm-hmm. early in the season, too, about Arizona. They went out and they tried to be a more complete roster with what they were able to do, and the two big pieces we're familiar with, with Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Gabriel Moreno. My goodness, did Gabby ever have a sensational uh, in LCS and a chance to then 
get themselves to the World Series. And he looked like the all-star that he's projected to be at the plate, certainly. And then, uh, obviously, the Texas Rangers. Holy smokes. That offense takes fire, and it just does not slow down. And if they can get a little consistency out of Max Scherzer in that best of seven, uh, that could be a really, really big weapon no matter how they use it. So Bochy's the first manager to win a league championship series with three different franchises. My Padres in 98, the Giants, of course, 10, 12, and 14. We know what he did there. And the Rangers this year. And he's never lost a Game 7 in his career. I mean, I joke, he reminds me of the manager from Major League. Remember the movie Major League? <laughs> J- James Gammon. I don't see him I don't see him being an anal- analytics guy. He's Spitting his chew on the on the bench. Okay, get in there, kid. You know what I mean. But what a what a great move by Texas to get him off the couch. Well, well, yeah, and credit to Chris Young, right? We talked about Mike Hayes and his relationship with uh, Tori Lovello. Well, Chris Young, a guy that played for Bruce Bochy, obviously it struck a chord. Thought he would be a great guy to kind of right the ship from 102 losses, just a couple of years removed from that. Uh, emphasis, want to make a big splash from ownership. But when you go out and you back up a Brinks truck and dump a half a billion dollars, you're expected to win. And by doing that, you've got to have a balance for a lot of different reasons in a lot of different places. And Bruce Bochy somebody that – and we were in Texas in June, uh, just saw the Rangers then in September. And you talk to people in the Rangers clubhouse, and I'm like, how do you deal with like the dry, even demeanor? And they said, that's the best part. You know exactly what's the ballpark when you go to the ballpark and you talk to Marcus Simeon and on the player perspective. Now it's the manager perspective. You want to know what you're going to have every day you're going to go to the ballpark. You want consistency. You want the routine. Bruce Bochy is the guy that walks through the clubhouse, whether it's Adelise Garcia or it's Marcus Simeon or it's uh, any other. It's a rookie, you know, like, like Evans. Or you've got Young at third base or even Jonah Hyman, who's really not established as a major leaguer. He treats them all like men, whether you're a 10-year vet or it's your first year in the big leagues. He treats them like men, and everybody knows what's expected out of them. It's a model of consistency, and that's the reason why uh, he's, he's going to be in Cooperstown. You know, they can restart the clock yeah. every five years, uh, including this year. Now, whenever he decides to hang him up, but uh, Cooperstown will certainly be calling. So, you... Uh... You know, I'm. I'm. I think you're like me. You're probably more a traditionalist. Like you like baseball outside, crisp air. As long as it's the weather's not much of a factor in October, baseball. But you gotta. You gotta admit, we got two indoor facilities now. We probably like weather won't be a factor, which should give us the optimum baseball. I am a sense of a traditionalist, certainly. But more than anything, I do like baseball. It starts on time. <laughs> yeah good point good point I, I don't like going to work worrying about a weather report i gotta be honest with you yeah but, but it is nice you know what and major league baseball even if it was in a facility where you could crack the lid open and roger center is a great example of that very rarely are you given an opportunity to have outdoor baseball if you've got a facility that can provide both major league baseball usually wants everything buttoned up in a closed environment that's fine whatever um, am I going to miss, you know, kind of the crisp bear and the fall classic and you know, the, the turning of leaves and cutaway shots in certain places across the country with those teams not being part of it? Yeah, maybe. Uh, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always a sucker for a scenic. But you know what? I want to see the best two teams, and I want to see a long World Series. And it, it should be exciting offensively, certainly, with what these two teams can provide. 
and I'd really like to see what pitching, what pitching will be, and and that is a broad stroke. One with Tory, who's done thing, things interestingly, and you know he even made the comment to his bench coach about getting booed when he went out to take fought off the mound when he was pitching a pretty good game, and then you got Bruce Bochy. You know, are they going to let these guys have the long leash if their starters are pitching well, or if they're going to? And you have the ability to do this because of the map that is laid out for the World Series in the postseason. You can utilize your bullpens much earlier in the ballgame. And that'll be a really, really interesting thing to watch. You think uh, at the end of it, a guy like uh, Gurriel Jr. or Simeon, two former Jays, who's ho- who's uh, hoisting the trophy as the champ? I, You know, I think, I think Texas, and just looking at it, and this is, you know, I didn't do – too much in, in checking in with Vegas and where they think yeah. things are going to move on this. Um, just knowing my eye test, uh, knowing what I know about the rosters, I think Texas can take it in five. That's what I said earlier. That's what I said about uh, half it, an hour yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think yeah. too. Yeah, I think this I, is. And you know what? Yeah, I, I, I'll say this: if Philly would have advanced, I was going to pick pick Philly just because, again, the balance of the lineup. What I really thought would give them a couple of the intangibles as well. What I thought would give them an edge. I don't think that the series would have been along with Philly if they would have advanced either. I would have picked Philly over Texas in five, but I, but I thought Texas is is a little bit better of a matchup over the Diamondbacks, and it'll probably be in five. I picked the wrong teams, uh, Ben. I got, well, I'm the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but I was a fan before that. They're going through turmoil looking for a coach. They've had two bad years. The Edmonton Oilers are supposed to be Stanley Cup champs. They're off to a horrible start. Uh, the uh, San Diego Chargers of Los Angeles, not great. And my Padres are going to hire their fifth manager in the last nine years since A.J. Preller's been the president or director of baseball operations. Um, if you're going on to your... Like, I always say this. If you're married once, like I was, okay, you could look at it and say, okay, who's to blame? If you're married twice, okay, now maybe we should start looking at yourself. If you're married three times, I think we know who the problem is. If you're on your fifth manager in nine years and you just pissed off a guy who won the manager of the year three times, Bob Melvin. I mean, come on. There's a reason why some teams can't win. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's really hard to do. Um, And to the things that we talked about with Chris Young and Mike Hazen, there has to be a balance from a front office and a belief standpoint. And there are a couple of places in Major League Baseball where a GM – is at the mercy of a very reactionary ownership or ownership group in a lot of cases. You know, people that don't that don't like to play the long game and see where things really go. They 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 turn things around quickly. So more than it, I mean, with the Padres, I mean, there, there's something rotten in the clubhouse that was evident very early on. Uh, there is turmoil in the front office, and when you have people constantly thinking about the alternatives, you go nowhere and. And the alternatives, one, from a managerial perspective, but that, that tells me more about the process that's happening in a day-to-day aspect, too, where guys throw their hands up and say, I, I can't lead this. There, there's got to be complete chaos be, behind closed doors. Um, and that's, that's just something that in 20 years of covering professional baseball, you just pick up a sense on. And mm. when, when there are short, short runways uh, or short tracks given to, to people that are brought in, 
Um, and, and listen, Bob Melvin is a guy that's been around, right? He's been around. He understands the game. He certainly understands now the dynamic. Old school, new school. And he had to do it with big payroll, small payroll for all those years yeah. as well in Oakland. I mean, so this listen, this is an educated move. This wasn't just somebody that got in there, got honked off because of a couple of things. This guy has a huge body of work, and I don't believe Bob Melvin would make these decisions quickly. This was something that certainly had to really percolate to the top and be very evident that this would be his future if he didn't make a change. And for a lot of people, um, and I'm speaking for a lot of people within organizations, it's not just about a manager or GM or an owner. Uh, For a lot of people within these organizations, uh, you have – a lot of a lot of momentum, a lot of expectations for personal and professional development, and then all of a sudden uh, it gets railroaded very, very quickly, and that's where oil and water just do not mix in these situations. No. Hey, uh, thanks for your time, Ben Wagner. We always appreciate it each week. My pleasure. Enjoy the start of the World Series. Yeah, we will Friday at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. That's Ben Wagner, the outstanding radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, around the horn here on 620 CKRM. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. 936-6262, the number of text for the Capital Auto Group. Got this text from for this message from Glenn Zabo. He's a longtime uh, high school coach here at Regina, now living out in the Okanagan. I think he's a realtor now. Retired teacher, now being a realtor, kind of double dipping, listens to the show. He coached uh, Ronnie uh, Jr., Ronnie Lancaster Jr. over there at Campbell when Ron Lancaster was here. Anyway, he said, I want to thank you for the last two years of Rider play by play. I enjoy what you and Luke bring to the broadcast. I'm one of those fans who mutes TSN, sinks your broadcast of the game. I know it's a tough gig because there are so many keyboard warriors out there that are so negative about you, the coaches, the management, and the players. It's been a tough two years. I feel bad for Coach Dickinson. He worked his tail off and is a good man. Injuries have hurt this team, but that's part of the game. Effort always has been there. Eh, save for the the Winnipeg game wasn't good in Winnipeg, and the Hamilton game here wasn't good. But otherwise, I thought they played hard for him. Um, but the effort comes from the players. They're paid to give that effort. There will be changes. We'll see a younger team, I suppose, as some veterans will have to go. A new coach will bring new hope. Keep doing what you're doing. Your passion and driver benefit to the team, to all the detractors. I say, if you really know the game, give the team some slack. It's obvious that many of these mouth breathers don't know the game. Cheers, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. Um, I uh, it is. I found this about this job, this job that I'm sitting in, and I still love it, and I love doing it. But you're, it's kind of a lonely job. Like you're, yeah, you, you got uh, people in your own building that don't understand what you do, and then you got players who listen to you and see what you have to say and managers and coaches and sometimes they'll perceive you're attacking them so you got that to worry about and then I got as he said mouth breathers trolls but it is what it is it gives me a new um not like I haven't had them before but it gives me a new appreciation for the people that like to be like to be critical um What's been the most eye-opening thing for you the last two years? Your first two years covering the team, too. Like, I've been covering it for 20-some years, but in your role, is there anything that really stuck out to you? Anything you didn't expect about the job that you're kind of 
Uh, you know, I'm going to go back to more last year in terms of how crazy last year was with all the sick games, COVID games, yeah. and then there was the whole fiasco following the Garrett Moreno incident. They uh, only won eight games total since that Moreno thing. Eight games total <laughs> since that Moreno thing. Somehow it bled over to a new season. I don't know, man. It's going to be very interesting. So we've been asking people, uh, Blaine, about the coaching. And Henry Burris was on our show. We'll replay that after five. He um, said he's interested in the job. He he thinks he's the man for the job. He says X's and O's are overrated, although he does know X's and O's. People saying, well, he's never coached. He's too nice of a guy. Dude ran a huddle for 20 years at a high level. I know Henry Burris. He's an alpha dog. Oh, he's going to leave like he did for BC or with BC. Well, he was with BC, but he had jobs lined up in Dallas and Jacksonville, and he told them that. I, I, if, I, if I get a chance, I'm going there. Okay? So there's that. Oh, he left us before. No, 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 no. He left as a player because Roy Shivers, true story, wanted Nelon Green, not Henry Burris. That's why he took the money in Calgary. What is he supposed to do? Okay, I'll stay here, compete with Nelon Green. No, he's better than Nelon Green. He took the cash and he went to Calgary. It wasn't, it wasn't his fault. Then the other guy that I've heard, not heard, I know for a fact is open to coming back to Saskatchewan in the head coaching role is an offensive assistant coach with the Seattle Seahawks. Kerry Joseph may have heard of him. I think that's a good, that's pretty good. Like he's, he's a, Former MOP, he was a quarterback, defensive back, played a little special teams too in the NFL, so he's done it all. He's coached at the college level, and now he's been in the NFL, so he'll have contacts. If I was to pick the two, I'd probably say Kerry, but Henry made a good case, and you'll hear it again after 5 o'clock. Um, got any text there at 936-6262? Got a couple there for me? Yeah, we got a couple. Uh, this one comes from Sheldon, and he mentions a name I don't think we've talked about over the last couple of days, and I think this guy's going to be a front runner. Kahari Jones is a guy he'd like to see coach this team. He's got head coaching experience, and he was a quarterback, and he would coach those guys up. Yeah, and he was a he was a great coach when um, he was with Cortez in the 2013 Grey Cup. Uh, Cortez, the offensive coordinator, who, by the way, joins us after 5 o'clock, and where are they now? Yeah, and he helped Darian Durant, and he did a pretty good job with the defunct, uh, dysfunctional Montreal Alouettes team. Um, I don't know that he'd be the front runner, but he definitely should be considered. Yep, he was, sure. And, of course, he did uh, was one guy that was... A candidate last year for the offensive coordinator job here. Yeah, he just he didn't like the once again uncertainty went with Bob Dice to Ottawa. And I think Paul Lapolis will be in the running because that's who the Riders wanted to get the last time, remember? Yeah. You got something else, sir? Uh, we got a couple more. I see. Coming from Brandon. Hey, guys, first off, I absolutely love Dickinson, but something was off. We beat two of the best teams and nothing, nothing. Could not right the ship. Yeah. Did our players just give up or did we just get out coached? Then maybe a coaching change will rejuvenate the team next year. I like either Burse or Kerry Joseph. Not so much Pierce, Buck Pierce, but that being said, they take so much from us. Might be nice to swipe one of theirs. That's great. And he is a great coach. He's proven it. Doesn't have head coaching experience, but he comes from a winning organization. And he hit the nail right in the head because we were talking about this. You take him from Winnipeg. So not only is it a double whammy, you get a great coach, you take him from Winnipeg. So I'd be okay with that. No, I definitely agree. I, you got to interview him at least. Oh, they'll interview him. And, and if he wants to be, who knows? Maybe he's set up to, I don't know, maybe there's some sort of, they give him a title, give him more money in Winnipeg where he's comfortable too. I'm not sure it's what happens for the rest of the teams out east, but uh, it looks like the Rough Riders will be the only team looking for head coach this offseason, I believe. Yeah, well, Moss is secure. Hamilton looks like they'll be okay with Steinauer. Ottawa. 
Unless, 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 unless does O go upstairs because he's like in charge of the football side, and does 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 Milanovic just slip over and be the head coach in Hamilton? I could I could see that. Yeah. I could see you know. I think within- Scott Milanovic is a long shot. I think he is. Would Jeremy O'Day want to hire his potential replacement like Arash said? Would he want to do that? I don't know that he'd want to do that. I'm not saying he's insecure, but I wouldn't want to hire my potential replacement, even though I hired you and Zinger. But I I don't know that I'd want to hire my potential replacement. And don't think you don't want my job. I can see you salivating over there. Zinger, too, doing games. You're doing play-by-play. I know what you guys are up to. I got the knife. I'm I'm just waiting for you to turn. That's right. That's why I don't turn. (laughs) That's why I don't turn. You got one more there quickly before we go to break? Uh, yeah, let's see. It's going from Jeff. Yeah. And not sure if this is a thing or not, but any thoughts about Chad Kelly yelling, hey, boy, Lanier after the ankle twist on Friday yeah, watching TSN highlights? Yeah, they were yelling across the field at each other when he was, when yeah, yeah. and then it was Olette and Lanier. Yeah, so I, don't, I didn't see an ankle twist. I don't I don't really watch the replays, and I never, listen, I saw it once. I don't need to see Toronto beat us again. I never went back to watch it again. But I thought there was something. Go- they were yelling at each other. I did see it afterwards. It was... Uh, it was uh, yeah. boring. It was pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Chad Kelly's not one to shy away from uh, some jaw jacking. I kind of like that about him, and he's a friend of this show. Uh, we'll take a break and be back with more of the sports cage in a moment, including a visit with George Cortez, longtime great coach in the CFL. This is the sports cage on 620 CKRM. Sports talk lives here. Welcome to another hour of the sports cage with your host, Michael Ball. And away we go. Watching the Raptors getting ready to open up their season against the Minnesota Timberwolves. There's one game on NHL ice tonight. It is uh, Washington against... Hold on here. Let me find this. Washington at New Jersey. Washington's coming off a 4-1 loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Jersey got three from Tyler Toffoli against his former team. They beat the uh, Montreal Canadiens 5-2. So... uh, couple weeks ago, we had uh, the 2013 team roll in here celebrating the last time the Riders were in a Grey Cup and the last time they obviously won a championship, their fourth and last one, uh, the 2013 team. Lots of great uh, people coming in here, hadn't seen them in many, many years, almost as long as that time. This guy walked in and he looked like uh, he looked like the guy from Fantasy Island. You, uh, you're probably, Blaine, too young to know that, but uh, Ricardo Montalban was his name in real life. And, uh, you know, remember he, uh, next to Tattoo, the little guy, the plane, the plane. George Cortez looking great. He's joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. It's Where Are They Now Wednesday. How do you, how do you George Cortez, age like a fine wine, my friend? Well, uh, when I look in the mirror, I, I sometimes don't recognize that guy. I wonder who is that old guy <laughs> But, uh, you know, I appreciate you saying the nice words. Well, uh, I mean them. Hey, and and you know, when I talked to, uh, like, I talked to Darian Durant, and I talked to Getzlaff, and I talked to G-Roy, one name that kept popping up was George Cortez and and his play calling and what he he did in that playoff run. What do you remember about that playoff run? What's the first, other than hoisting the championship, what's the first thing that comes to mind uh, for you, George? Well... You know, talking about the Grey Cup for a second, I had a head coach in the league tell me the, the week of the game or, or as the playoffs started, I can't remember what it was, he said, you know, it's really special to get to, to play a Grey Cup in your own stadium, and it's even more special if you're 
fortunate enough to win. And, you know, while we all realized we were going to be, we were playing a home game, until you came out for pregame and there was no other color in the stadium other than green, it really didn't sink in that it was truly a home game. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty exciting situation. The games, you know, I hate to say, I, other the first game against BC, I remember the fourth quarter. I don't remember much about it other than the fourth quarter. And the, the game at Calgary, you know, we just played very well. We, the defense turned the ball over a bunch of times. And we, I mean, I think we set a record for rushing in the game because mm-hmm. the offensive line and Corey and the guys did a great job. So, yeah, we were on a good roll in the playoffs. George, I've heard somebody, I've heard another football mind say this, and uh, and I've repeated it, so I'm not going to take it as my own. But I wonder what you think of this. A great offensive coordinator has to you know, he usually puts his guys or his quarterback in the position to be successful 80 to 85% of the time. But that quarterback has to be the OC on the field about 15% of the time. He has to take matters into his own hands. Four, five, six plays a game. Do you agree with that? And is that what Darian did in some of these cases in this playoff run, in particular in the fourth quarter of that BC win? Yeah, we've always allowed the quarterbacks to have a lot of liberty as long as they could uh, function well with it. You know, we'd give them some parameters on when to change plays to certain looks and things like that. And, you know, well, we used to always say the, the sky being blue is not a good reason to change a play. <laughs> you know, you have to have a reason based on the defense. And, you know, going in the fourth quarter of the BC game, you know, we talked about some things. If they did some certain things, you know, we were, we were better off the quarterback running than to try to throw into it. And, you know, some of the plays were some call plays. We checked to a lot of running plays in long yardage all season long because our feeling was if they played a five-man box, our five offensive linemen was either Corey Sheets running with the ball or with him blocking on a quarterback draw was just as likely to be successful as a pass play. George Cortez joining us here, man. He was a longtime CFL assistant, highly accomplished. His name is synonymous with great offensive football. Of course, the offensive uh, coordinator for your 2013 Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Henry Burris told us he's uh, interested in becoming the next head coach of the Rough Riders. He'd be more than happy to get an interview. Um, he credits you with being like the quarterback whisperer and a guy that really is the reason where he is today and had the career that he had. Do you think Henry has what? Do you think what Henry has what it takes to be a head coach? Well, I think Henry's been at, been at some good places. He's been very successful. He's, I'm sure he's absorbed things from all the guys, all the organization he's been been uh, in. You know, whether you, I don't know how you can predict whether somebody will be successful as a head coach. And, you know, and I, I work with some guys who I thought would be very good head coaches, and they turned out to be that way. But, you know, I, you always hear, uh, well, this person doesn't have any experience as a head coach. And I always say, you know, Bill Belichick didn't have any experience as a head coach when he got his first job either. You know, you just don't know. Could Henry be a good head coach? He, he has all the attributes you know, it's uh, you know, coaching is not easy. It's a hard job, and you have to have good players who want to be good players. 
What's the what? What's the main yeah. George? What, in your opinion, because you were a longtime assistant and you got a crack in in Hamilton. What what's the what's the what do you think looking back on and what you know in your years? What's the one main thing? If you could put your finger on one thing, what's the one main thing a successful coach, whoever he may be as a head coach, has to have? Good players. <laughs> you don't have. No, I'm being as serious as I can be. You know, when I when I first went to Calgary in '92 as the offensive line coach, after having coached at Montreal and at Ottawa, and, you know, somebody, you know, and we won the Great Cup in '92, and some friends of mine asked me, "Well, what's the difference in being at Calgary and being at the other place you've been?" I said, "The major difference is when we draw plays on the board, we have players that can run those plays successfully." And I can't say that that was always the case in other places. You know, not only do you have to have good players, you have to have good players who want to be good players and want to be coached. George, when, you know, just talk, and you're a great guy to ask this of what you know. We talk about guys that don't have experience, or guys that have been offensive coordinators but never had head coaches. What's it like to take that step to go from a highly accomplished guy that's drawn up plays and been very successful to then be in charge of a team? What What was the eye opening thing for you? Well, I was fortunate in that the I had spent a long time at Calgary where the coaches. Uh, we're very involved with the non-football aspects of things as far as the personnel aspects and the scouting aspects. And, you know, everybody got their hand involved in things other than just coaching your position or whatever. You know, the, the one thing probably that, uh, and it, I, it's probably even worse now than it was because it, it was just getting go. As a head coach, you have to know what's going on with the players as far as what they're saying. Mm-hmm. In the media, mm-hmm. not so much because of what they're saying, but what effect it might have on the team as a whole. Mm-hmm. By because anything that's repeated more than once it doesn't end up being what is what it started out. Yeah. You just have to be aware of those things. Which means, you know, I used to always tell people, and they'd say, "Well, what do you think about what so and so wrote in the paper?" I said, "Didn't read it." I said, "They said, well, why not?" I said, "I was at the game. I know what happened." <laughs> it's a good point, and you know what? You 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 uh, raise a very good point because it's even worse now with social media and everything like that. George, we got to get to Henry Burris again here. We're going to replay the interview, but I want to ask you this question: You were back here, uh, you know, all the pomp and pageantry, saw all the guys, but you got to see the new stadium. What do you think of the digs here? Oh, it's 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 an incredible setup. That's the first time I'd seen it, and uh, they really did a nice job. It's. Uh, it's just a it's just a wonderful setup. I mean, I'd heard it was nice, but you know, you don't really know till you see it with your own eyes. I, w- I was quite impressed, and I mean, it's been how, how many years has it been open now? Four or five? Uh, Two thousand seventeen, actually. When we had the COVID, you're out of that, yeah. So six so they, years. Yeah. So they've obviously not only did they build a nice uh, facility, they're taking care of it because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look old like it's that old. So you know, yes, I was I was really impressed. Gee, we started this interview with a theme and we ended it. I started it, you ended it. You don't look that. You don't look old, man. You look great, just like Mosaic Stadium. <laughs> Taking care of yourself. George, I'd love to catch up with you again. Pick your brain because uh, I could talk and talk and talk to you. We're just up against the clock, okay? Okay, sounds good. Hey, good visiting with you guys. And uh, hey, have a nice winter. I saw, I heard the temperatures. Is- yeah.
you guys were coming on yeah. the air. We were we were about thirty Celsius. Yeah, yeah. You you rub it in there, uh, Texas. Yeah, I get it. Anyway, take <laughs> care, George. Take care, man. Appreciate okay. it. Appreciate Bye. it. Love that guy. He knows football, George Cortez. He's forgot more about football than you and I will ever know. Uh, we'll be back with more of the sports cage in a moment on six twenty CKRM. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the Mighty 620 CKRM. All right, we've had this guy on recently. We always love talking football with one of the greats ever to play in the CFL. It's our friend, Smiling Hank, Henry Burris. You were a public enemy here. You were also a fan favorite here. Public enemy, I think, just in a fun way. People didn't, they just love to chant Henry. Uh, you obviously have fond memories of Saskatchewan, right? Oh, you know it, always. I mean, Saskatchewan's always been a second home to us, and it's been a place where, you know, we always love to come back there, my family and I. And just enjoy seeing people that we still consider family. And again, if it wasn't for Saskatchewan, then we wouldn't be where we are currently. So we're truly thankful and we'll never forget that. Yeah. So Henry, I just, uh, you know, I've talked to George Cortez in this show in our Where Are They Now segment. I, I Just talk about George Cortez. He was in for the 2013 championship celebration here last time the Riders uh, were in a Grey Cup, let alone win, uh, winning one. And... Uh, the guys talked about how, on the offensive side, how he was instrumental in helping Darian go to probably an unprecedented run in the playoffs for a quarterback in the CFL, with all due respect to yourself. But he had like eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Your thoughts on George Cortez, because I know you know him real well. Well, if it wasn't for George, I wouldn't have experienced what I, I did in my career. I mean, he was, when I talk about the one coach who actually set me down, he taught me the game, made sure I understood how to operate the game, but also you know, manage the lifestyle both off the field and also how to manage the system on the field. And, you know, when George joined the Riders in 13, I knew, you know, if there was going to be a team that was definitely going to speak and do the right things. It was definitely that team with, with the secret ingredient, George Cortez on the sideline. And you could definitely see the impair, the, 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 I guess just the, the, the change in Derry Durant's game just from the, the presence of George Cortez. And that, that to me, that speaks so much about who he was. He didn't say a lot. Probably wasn't the most personable guy, but when it came to football and just the salt of the earth type people, George Cortez is the guy you could definitely put put as a picture as far as under that uh, description. So let's get down to it, bro. Do you want to be a CFL head coach? People are talking about you. Hey, this guy could be a great head coach. Do you want to be a CFL head coach? Because I know of a team looking for one. (laughs) Well, you know, it's always been something I've talked about I would love to do. And, uh, of course, following my career, it was all about spending time with family. And that's why I've even been down here down south, uh, being able to spend more time with family because we knew we wanted high school-wise for our kids to go to high school down here so they could have an opportunity to attend some of the colleges and have the same experience from a sports and academic standpoint that we did, plus be close to the family so people could experience what they're doing as far as in their It was all about family. But I've always had my ears up north. And while down here, I made sure I – I've gotten the necessary experience, but I've been working hand-in-hand both with Matt Nagy, helping him out as far as the game planning and helping put the game plan together as far as what's the coaches and the offensive coordinator's duties. And also did the same thing hand-in-hand with both Doug Doug Peterson and Press Taylor in Jacksonville, making sure that their responsibilities were all ready to go, whether it was presentations and team meetings to setting up the game plan and how the plays are going to be called on a game day. And I worked directly with Trevor Lawrence, working with his fundamentals and throwing technique. So for me, I, I've, I've been in the rooms and, and I've, I've, I've helped learn. I've been able to learn 
and be put in a position to learn just the duties of both offensive coordinator and the head coach. And I'm thankful for that. And, uh, but, you know, again, with my playing experience, you know, I know that game up there oh so well when it comes to offenses, when it comes to defenses, the personnel that are calling it, what changes are happening, the rules, the special situations that are taking place. But more importantly, I just love football and I love helping young men reach their dreams. I've had men who sacrificed time away from their families to make sure that I could have the career I did in Canada. Well, now I'm looking forward to that opportunity of having that baton handed to me so I can help impact young men both off the field and on the field and also our given community and market as well. So I'm just a, uh, I'm a radio announcer of the football team. Okay, I've never been in a prof- I've never been in a professional huddle, and I've never, let alone, ran a professional huddle like yourself at a high level, one of the all-time greats. But you've never been a head coach. Do you think that aspect is overrated when you're looking for a coach? Well, it's definitely not overrated. But uh, I know people talk about, oh, well, X's and O's. You know, can you put a game play together? Can can you call plays? I was like, well, guys, that's it. Actually, what I did during my career, you know, I was involved as far as in the game planning, the, the 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 film study to put together the game plans, understanding analytics and all the different things, the nuances that are a part of the game today, and also understanding how to you know create culture as far as in the locker room. And to me, that's the most underrated aspect of what coaching is all about. Because when it comes to coaching, X to the nose is the last thing you want to worry about because everybody has their system, everybody has the plays that they love. And everybody's trying to find the players to be able to execute that game plan. But being able to establish the right mindset for your players, empower your players, but also create the proper culture so each and every one of those players can succeed is how teams thrive. And, and right now, you know, when I look at Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan should be the cornerstone of the CFL. I mean, it's been that way since I've been in the CFL for a long time. And we were able to experience some of the greatest times of the CFL as far as playing against the Riders and being a part of the resurgence of the Riders in the early 2000s. Well, it's time for that team to get back there. And it's all about setting the culture first and putting the proper play- people in place to help make that happen. And that, and that's more importantly, the guys in the locker room. And, and I'm definitely more than comfortable as far as the process of what it takes. But I'm only one part of that process mm-hmm. of helping make it uh, turn around. So you're a young guy. You fit that aspect of it, I think. Uh, you're you're not that far removed for, from the game, so I'd, I think it gives a guy street cred like yourself, absolutely, and I think that's important to today's athlete. But as you know, Henry, we just talked about George Cortez, and you said you're only one part of it. Uh, great coaches surround themselves with better coaches, so that would be something I'd ask as a GM. Henry, who would you bring in with yourself to surround yourself? So my question, I guess, Henry, is do, do you have contacts that you could, if you had to put a coaching staff together, do so? Well, the thing is, I'm not going to name any names. No. It's, you know, a lot, a lot of guys that are great friends of mine are, are still, you know, battling in playoff spots. They're on some of the best teams up there right now, not to give away any people's names. But, yeah. but uh, the thing you know, as far as, you know, maintaining those contacts, you know, some of those guys up there are my best friends. And, and we've all talked about one time when one of them or myself was to become a head coach, don't forget about each other. And, the, and that same system still applies at this moment. You know, I've already talked to guys, and, I've, you know, I'm definitely going to talk to guys as things move forward. But this, 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 this is how the fraternity works, you know, and I definitely have a lineup of a number of guys that, that you know, definitely work their butts off that are currently coaching in this DFL guys that definitely need an opportunity to be coaching in the CFL because they were not only great people but also great minds that are still coaching in Canada, whether it's in a CIS level or even on a high school level. But the thing is, these are guys that had prior CFL experience as far as playing and also in some aspects coaching. So definitely the Rolodex is thick. I definitely have a lineup of names if need be, if that opportunity is given. And, uh, 
you know, it'd be, it'd be a great time, you know, putting great people in great places to help these young men become the best that they can be. So tell me what you can tell me. Don't tell me what you can tell me. Have you reached out? How does this work? Like, do you reach out to the riders through your agent? Do they contact you? Do you feel like you're in the running? Do you want to be in the running? I guess that's a bunch of questions, but answer which ones you want. Oh, 100%. I'm definitely interested. I mean, I, I've always talked about Saskatchewan and just their impact as far as my family and I. My wife and I, we've talked about it ever since, you know, the things that have happened, the moves that have happened here recently. And it's the unfortunate part of the game with a great guy like Craig Dickinson being not retained. But, you know, we've talked about it. If the opportunity is there, sure, 100% we'd be interested in. And I know people get it twisted about the situation in B.C., but, you know, Rick Campbell and I talked about my situation because before I even agreed to do anything with B.C. as a consultant, I was already in talks with both Jacksonville and Dallas. So the thing is, it wasn't a situation where I signed and I'm ready to get back out. No, not the case because people, it's well documented how much I love the CFL game. If the right opportunity came about, you, just like it is now, I would definitely be all ears and be at full attention. And, and that's where I currently am at this point. You know, uh, you know this. I said this on the air the other day, Henry, and I, I believe this. I think when you're looking for a head coach in today's day, the way the game is going, I think you need to look for an offensive minded coach. I know you'd be biased because that's who you are, but you love the game in general. And there's a lot of great uh, defensive names thrown out there and I'm not devaluing them, but like with a, with a coaching cap that we have in the CFL too, I think one of the things that's missed for quarterbacks in this league is a quarterback's coach, like a, a George Cortez or even here, Kahari Jones in that year, 2013, was somebody that Darian could lean on. I really believe you could bring that to the table in a coaching uh, kind of cap crunch where you could be kind of head coach, but also be that guy where the quarterback could turn to and say, hey, Henry, hey, coach, what do you think of this? Well, that's similar to what both Bo George and Ken Austin did with myself, Jeremiah Masoli, Dan Lefevre, uh, and I can continue on with the names of the quarterbacks that were in Hamilton during that time. But, but most of the head coaches that have professed themselves, as far as former quarterback coaches being Jason Moss and, and Ottawa, you know, they had that split duty where they were either the offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach, or even with Kent and, and George Cortez head coach slash quarterback coach. And just with that opportunity there, it allows you not only to, to be able to, you know, help lead the team and help put the guys in places to help both run the offense and the defense, but it gives you an opportunity to talk to the leader of the locker room and to spend time and time and over and over again. It helps you both get on the same page, not only from a leadership standpoint, but also from an offensive standpoint, because again, it's all about the head coach empowering the quarterback and the more time that you can spend with each other when come game day and you have to hear that guy speaking to you in the ear as far as in that headset, you're on the same page and pretty much know what he's going to say before he even says it. So the more time that you can spend, volume creates perfection. And, and that's what having that head coach uh, slash quarterback coach uh, aspect can bring to the table for you. And lastly, Henry, how much do you think, as, as maybe you go down this process and, and you're talking to the team if that does materialize and how things go, the fact that you were here and you know what Saskatchewan means to the people here, the football team, I mean, to the province, and how much they just want a winner here, a regular winner, like four championships in over a hundred years. I think only three first place finishes since 1971. And these fans spend their hard earned money and drive a long hours to get here to watch the games. You know what that means. 100% because it's funny. My wife and I talked about this last night and we said, you know what? In many ways, we still have a lot of unfinished business there because unfortunately we weren't able to come back following that 2004 West final and just finish off things. And, and trust me, I, it hurt when, you know, Saskatchewan won the two great cups in 13, beating our butts when I was with <laughs> Hamilton. 
and also when Kerry Joseph was there, was there. But two great friends were leaders of that team as quarterbacks and also as head coaches. You know, both Kent and and, and Corey Chamberlain. Uh, but but to see Saskatchewan get excited inside, my heart was smiling. Because if there's one fan base that truly deserves it, you know, it's definitely the Ryder faithful. Because, like I mentioned, they are the benchmark of the CFL. And when the Riders are great, the CFL is great. And, and that's where the team needs to be. And, and, and honestly, any opportunity to be able to come back there and be a part of helping build that back up is, is definitely, uh, you know, what my wife and I, we've talked about. So, you know, that, 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 that's true. That's what we believe. Because uh, honestly, at the end of the day, I was a quarterback there. You could pretty much say I was the premier there if you're the quarterback. Mm-hmm. But also, you feel the temperature and heat as the head coach. And definitely, I understand the people there. But like I mentioned, there's a lot of unfinished business as far as within our hearts of, of you know us not being able to complete what we set out to in Regina. Well, you've definitely stated a very appealing case. I'm not going to lie to you, man. We're friends, and I'm on the air, so you can always go back and check it out. That's kind of dismissive. Not that you don't know football or anything like that. It's like, he's never had head coaching experience. But you know what? You've... uh You've, you've presented a very appealing case to me, my friend. Best of luck wherever it goes, eh? Maybe we'll be working very closely together. Who knows? <laughs> well, Ballsy, as you know, being a head coach is all about treating people the right way. Uh, you know, if that's one of the things that I look forward to. It's definitely a part of the fabric of who Henry Burris is. And, you know, you never know. We'll see as time continues on, brother. But thanks for having me on. Time now for your sports ticker. The Raptors open their season today on home court against the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. One NHL game. It's going to be Washington taking to the ice right now against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, That's our sports ticker. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Let's head ringside and check in with the oldest major junior hockey team in Canada. This is Pat Chats from your official voice of the Regina Pats, 620 CKRM. Pat Chat brought to you by the Canadian Brew House. Get the best flock and chicken wing special in town with 69 cent wings all day, every Wednesday and Sunday with a feature wing flavor of the month every month. Pats play the Saskatoon Blades on Friday here. Uh, coming off uh, two straight losses after they had a four-game win streak. The NHL Central Scouting announced today its uh, preliminary players to watch list for 2024 in the draft. Pats captain Tanner Howe and Twins Jackson and Corbin Vaughn cracked the list. Howe is ranked A-level prospect. The Vaughn Twins listed as W-level prospects. We're going to talk hockey now coming up and football with Farhan Lalji of TSN. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. And we're with Farhan Lalji from TSN on the Western Pizza Hotline. Welcome, Farhan. Before we get the football hockey, Canucks off to a nice start. Four wins. Yeah, a bit of a surprise. And, you know, if you're a fan out here, you probably just are thrilled that they're not out of it already, right? Because, you know, the Canucks go on a road trip last year to begin the season. They come back, they're like 0-5-2. And, and, you know, it took them 16 games, I think, to to get a couple of wins here where they're at now. So just given what this market's been through the last two years, just for them to to just be right there, right? And just so you you just want to continue to play games that matter. Uh, You don't want to be chasing the schedule. And, And there are some really positive things, right? We had a... Uh, scenario where where the coach called his team soft after that Philadelphia loss, and and they were and they responded right. He, he pushed the right button, and they played 
a lot better since. I think the game last night might have been their most complete game of the season against Nashville. And, you know, you, you see moments late in games where the top players are doing certain things and just the work rate is so good. So it's not just that they're playing better, but there's just some intangible things that make you think the message is getting through. Farhan covers the CFL on the sidelines and in the booth a couple of times. Actually, he called the, uh, the, the game of the year the uh, BC Lions and Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I really think the West was won there on a great play by Jamal Parker, tracking down uh, Rhymes and stopping him from the game-winning touchdown at the end. Winnipeg goes on to win. Are you surprised that, uh, that Brady Oliveira is the MOP candidate out of Winnipeg? Not entirely. You know, that, that had been some conversation for the last month about which way it was going to go, uh, you know, and just the value of, of Zach Caleros and how good he's been versus what Brady Oliveira has done. And I think sometimes when you're Zach Caleros and you put up the kind of years you've had the last two years, you don't always get compared to Brady Oliveira or the other players in the West. You get compared to yourself. So if your season is still very good, but maybe statistically not as good as the previous two years, then you wind up, uh, you know, saying, okay, well, let's give this guy a shot because he's having a historical year. They're maybe not the best ever by a Canadian, but, you know, just one spot behind um, uh, John Cornish, right, in, in his season in 2018. So, you know, the, the media there seem to think that it's been more consistency and just more overall value with what Brady Oliveira has brought, and it's hard to argue with him. This is Farhan Lalji from TSN. How the bloody H-E-double hockey sticks didn't Matthew Betts get the uh, unanimous choice in BC as your outstanding, what is it, Canadian and defensive player? Like, what is going on over there? Uh, truthfully, I, I number one, I didn't vote because I get national vote. I yeah. get a national vote. I don't get a regional vote. But And if I had a vote, it would have gone to Matthew Betts. But I don't think it should have been unanimous. And I say that because Ben Halatic has been really, really yeah, good. Yeah, he has. You're right. And yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. And he's had, he's had over 100 tackles. And, you know, first Canadian BC Lion ever, uh, fourth Canadian ever to wind up with a, with a hundred tackles. So I don't think you can that simply dismiss that season for him. Right. So, you know, I could see a case where some voter might've wanted to split the vote, make one of them the top Canadian and one of them the top uh, uh, defensive player. Right. Um, just to recognize both of their seasons. But uh, certainly, you know, when you look at what Betts has done with the 18 sacks, it would be hard to argue, but consistent game one through 18. Halatic has been really good. Whereas there's been some games or maybe, Betts hasn't been as statistically productive, even though he's been impactful because of what defenses have had to do to make him unproductive in those games. I don't know if you've heard or not, but there's a team that plays here that needs a head coach in the CFL. Have you heard that story? I'm not applying. I'm not applying. (laughs) Okay. You have coached. you got a son playing football. Uh, I'm going to throw some names at you. You tell me, okay? Jordan Jordan Maximic. Not ready. Exceptional offensive mind. uh, As good an offensive coordinator as as there is in the league, and because People want to find the next offensive guy. A person like that could potentially be fast-tracked. I don't think he's ready to be a head coach. Buck Pierce. Uh, ready to be a head coach, in my opinion. Not sure that's what he's looking for at this moment. Uh, you know, with, his, with um, his family situation and as embedded as they are in Winnipeg. But if there is a job to take... Right, like it doesn't get any better than Saskatchewan. So unless he thinks at some point Michael Shea's going to retire sometime soon, and he can have that job, um, I'd look at it. But I'm not sure he's anxious to apply quite yet. Scott Milanovic, uh, will Hamilton elevate him? I keep hearing rumbling yeah. the possibility Orlando Steinauer might be ready to just be a GM and hand over the coaching duties. So if that happens and he gets elevated to Hamilton, you know maybe he takes that. But um, you know, if not, Saskatchewan's pretty enticing, right? And I mean, and they might even be a, 
a first choice for him, right, depending on what the quarterback situation is and everything else around it. But Milanovic is as credible as it comes. And if I'm a Saskatchewan fan, I want him at the top of my list because he's been there, done that, and won championships. Mark Mueller. Uh, probably not ready yet, but I, you know, certainly a, a sentimental favorite in um, in Saskatchewan and a guy that they'd probably want to bring back through even as an OC if that window opens itself. Henry Burris was on with us. He wants the job. He thinks he's the right man. He says X's and O's. Uh, you know, it's more than X's and O's. It's about building culture. I've ran a huddle for 20 years. I have some experience in the NFL now. I could bring myself a good staff. I know what it's like with the pressure cooker in Saskatchewan. Henry Burris. All of those things are true, right? And Henry doesn't have a long track record as a coach, right? He's He's been a quality control coach for uh, for a couple of different staffs now, right, with Jacksonville and with Chicago. But I would bet on Hank. Like, I would bet on Hank to do the right job and to bring the right people in. And I think he's got natural leadership abilities. So even though the resume is not there, I, I'd have a lot of belief in Henry Burris. How about this? N- NFL defensive back, CFL receiver, played special teams, coached at uh, coached at a American college, now in an NFL uh, offensive room as an assistant, and has his fingerprints all over turning a walking forest fire, Geno Smith, into a competent NFL quarterback. Kerry Joseph, I have heard that he is in, he would be open to coming back to the CFL to be the head coach of the Rough Riders. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it's been a long time since Kerry Joseph's been involved in this league, but it would be um, tough to turn that away. You know, like you said, I mean, he's got the resume. You look at uh, Henry's short coaching resume, um, you know, and, and none of them, neither of them have been a coordinator yet. Uh, like, I like Kerry Joseph a lot. I, I think he's got a great reputation in Seattle, talking to Pete Carroll and others about him previously. I mean, they think he's got you know, an even brighter future. Now, the thing with Kerry in the NFL is everyone's looking for that next young guy. So I don't know that he's ever going to be an NFL head coach, but, you know, he's going to be a coach in this league or in the NFL as long as he wants to. Um, so if he wants to take that next step and, and get out of the box, and even though it's been, what, 20 years for him since he's been around the CFL, I, I'd roll the dice on Kerry Joseph. The people that I talk to that know Ryan Dinwiddie say he's a Western guy. He likes the West. He's got young family. He, you know, they say he wouldn't be opposed to coming back West. Would there be a way to get him out of that contract and bring him here to Saskatchewan, or would he want to do that? I don't know that he'd want to do that. I think he's got, um, I think he's got a pretty good setup there. Uh, just signed the extension. He's got a lot of support around him. But, I mean, look, we've talked about it before. Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan. There's only one Saskatchewan. So, you know, getting a chance to do that, I think, would appeal to a lot of people. Could you get him out of it? I'm not sure Toronto would really be excited to make that move because they finally got some on-field success. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether they've got traction in the marketplace, you could debate that. But, look, if we've seen these things before, right, that if there's compensation attached, if you're willing to throw in a couple of first round draft picks or mm. uh, you know, dinner at Ballsy's house, you never know. It's oh. entirely possible. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, I'll super, like, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a real long shot. Yeah, Farhan, I'll supersize the fries for sure. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even had you over for supper and I've talked to you all the time. Didn't Western we? Pizza. Yeah, Western there you pizza, go. Buddy. Hey, look at that. There's a pro plug in the sponsor. Uh, one more here. I don't know how you feel. Yeah. I feel football's offensive, so I think you need an offensive coach, especially with the coaching cap. You want to have a, a coach that maybe can help the quarterback out and be kind of a coach pseudo, maybe quarterback's coach. But if you decide to go defense, how about Corey Mace? Corey Mace is going to be an incredible head coach in this league. Because You talk to players that play for him, it's incredible just how young he is as a coach. And 
what he's been able to figure out in terms of leadership, at, you know, with just such a lack of experience. I mean, he was very close. People don't realize how close he was to getting the Ottawa head job last year ahead of Bobby Dice. Like, he made that kind of impression in, in the interview. So I think Corey Mace is a natural head coach. But I think you're right. I think in Hamilton or in Saskatchewan, one of two things is going to be key. Total offensive credibility or been there, done that as a head coach. I think it will be tough to go outside of those two priorities. Man, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Have fun today. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care. That's Farhan Lalshi joining us on t- uh, the Western Pizza Hotline. Plugged them nicely there. When we come back, uh, we'll get to the Riders Award nominees. And one guy who missed out, but I thought he had a pretty good year. You're listening to the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. All right, the Rough Riders announced their uh, nominees for the Outstanding Player of the Year. Or Outstanding. Their Player Award nominees for the that they'll submit to the league. I don't think anybody from our team, no disrespect, is going to win on a national level. But here's who the media chose. I was a part of that regionally. Larry Deed, Most Outstanding Player, Most Outstanding Defensive Player. That's what I picked. Sam Ellis, most outstanding Canadian. We'll get to him in a second. Had a over 1,000 yards receiving with six touchdowns, 1,097 yards on 70 catches. Adam Korzak, most outstanding special teams player and rookie. And Logan Furlan for the second straight year, most outstanding lineman. Sam Emelis turns 26 today. We, thanks to Blaine Wyland for that. We had a chance to catch up with Sam Emelis after the Rough Rider game where he got that uh Six touchdown and got over the thousand yard plateau, which is pretty good, being that he had to play with three different quarterbacks this year. Tomorrow we'll have more of the sports cage, but we leave you with the most outstanding Canadian on your Saskatchewan Rough Rider, Sam Emelis. Sam Emelis had a great game, man, over a hundred yards receiving, touchdown is six of the year. And I said this, Luke, on the broadcast, Nick Dembski can do so much for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But if I was starting a team today, and with all due respect to Kean Schaefer Baker, Braden Lenius, who I love, Sam Emelis is the best Canadian receiver in the CFL right now. Yeah, you know what? I think that he's definitely up there for sure. And, you know, you, you don't need – they do a good job with Nick Dembski, but to be fair, they really scheme the ball to Nick Dembski. Yeah. I think that Sam Emelis is a guy that you can just put in any spot and just be like, hey, look, go make a play over here. Yeah. He's going to do it. I think that he had a great year, yeah. um, definitely one of the bright spots of the season and, and probably a guy that you'd want to build around. Yeah, he's a foundational guy. He's downstairs over 1,000 yards receiving. Um, just uh, first off, your thoughts, Sam, on another tough loss. Um, you know, it, it, it sucks right now. Um, knowing that you can't, you out of the playoff, um, just, it just sucks that it had to happen this way. You know, Sam, it's got to, like for me as a guy that calls the games with you on the road trips and everything, I'm bewildered. How about you? Like, I can't believe I'm sitting here saying this is it for the season when like six weeks ago, you guys, seven weeks ago, you guys just finished back-to-back wins over BC and Winnipeg. How about you? I mean, you know, we were in the driver's seat and we just let the stuff fall down and we didn't, we didn't really accomplish what we wanted to do. But um, like I said earlier, uh, this week also um, individually, I'm proud of what, what I did, you know, but uh, I'm, over. I'm really about team accomplishment first. 
Yeah, but you need to uh, make plays to have the team be successful, and you were a playmaker. Last year, I was like, okay, they took Sam seventh overall, but I'm like, okay, but then you got to understand the offense was kind of out of sorts. This year, you took it to the next level, but ironically, you did it with the offense even more out of sorts with injuries on the O-line, receiving core quarterbacks. Why were you able to be so successful this year? Um, You know, this year... I mean, this year I had the opportunity to be a starter and, you know, make plays. Um, last year I was more learning about the offense and getting back to the CFL game. But this year I got a chance to be, be on the field. So I would say opportunity was the biggest thing for me and, and, and learning the game from last year. So when I came up this year, it was just the game was, 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 was more slow. You know, it's, it's nice that you mentioned that the game slowed down for you a little bit. And I'll ask you the same question that I asked Deontay Williams, Sam, is, is what is the focus of the offseason? Like, where do you see opportunities to make your game better? I mean, you know, um, I'm, always, I'm always trying to improve. Obviously, there's, there's some faces I got to improve also, I feel like. And um, I'm going to definitely work on it next year so, so we can bring, bring the riders back to the top where they're supposed to be at. Give me, give us one. What's one area you do want to work on? I feel like I could make more um, contested catch or improve my blocking a little bit, or um, you know stuff stuff of that nature. I'm gonna have to look at the film, but obviously, like I'm trying trying not to think too much negative right now. But yeah. there's definitely something I want to improve or keep keep doing well. So I'm gonna have to work on it. I realize it's still fresh. Now you're gonna be going into your third season, okay? And you're definitely now getting more street cred in the locker room because of being a playmaker. And Luke just mentioned a foundational guy. Is that a chance for you next season to maybe be more of a vocal leader and take some ownership or leadership in the locker room? Or are you not that kind of guy? You just lead by yeah, example. I mean, I, um, most definitely, you know. Um, even in college, I was more the guy to lead by example. Uh, not really a vocal guy, but I guess I'm going to have to take a little bit more of um, that leadership a little bit more. But um, that's something I'm trying to trying to learn from, from you know, guys from like Larry Dean, and uh, and uh, even Jake Dollar, uh, Jake Dollar Gala and, and and guys like that, you know, guys that be vocal like Pete. So I'm a, I'm gonna learn from it and and I'll, uh, um, hopefully be more vocal next year. We don't like to make excuses, but Luke made a good point. Let's be on. He said it when it happened. When Trevor Harris got hurt, he goes, there goes the Riders' season being carted off the field. Now, I know you guys fought. You fought hard. You got the 6-5, and five, and then the wheels fell off the wagon. But let's be honest. When you lose QB1, it is an uphill battle all the way. I mean, yes, de definitely, you know. Um, when, when any team that lose their quarterback one, gonna have going to have some, some adjustment to make. And I feel like we, we did it, but we just couldn't finish the job, and, and that's what really happened. All right, well, thanks for your time, man. Uh, great season. Uh, I know it comes in a loss, and you're a team guy, like you said, but it's a great accomplishment in your second year to be a 1,000-yard receiver and six touchdowns leading the receivers in that category. Have yourself a, uh, the best offseason you can, okay? All right, thank you. Appreciate y'all. Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.